I uh, I have I have opinions about this film. Directed by Garth Edwards. What else has that motherfucker done? Oh, I will tell you. There's some controversy about that. He's a great guy. I I just uh, as I said, we're gonna discuss how good of a director he is. Hello, uh, this is Max and Jason watching a movie, and I'm Max and I'm Jason. And tonight we will be reviewing Godzilla from 2014, directed by Gareth Edwards, starring Aaron Taylor Johnson, Ken Watanabe, Elizabeth Olsen, Juliette Binoche, Sally Hawkins, David Strathairn, and Brian Cranston. So, so had you seen this before recently? I mean, before you didn't see this in 20. 2014 did you i did not see this in 2014 i remember i remember the preview i remember being i I remember being in the theater i remember the preview and i remember the preview if i'm not mistaken gave us a slight just glimpse of godzilla through you know uh right before uh, 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 an ambulance door or something closed and i remember thinking holy fuck yeah this movie is going to be visually amazing but i never did get around to it in 2014 for listeners uh godzilla fans or non-godzilla fans or anybody that's listening uh godzilla is a series that goes back to the early 50s owned by toho productions which is probably i would assume i actually don't know this but but uh, certainly the most known japanese film company uh for americans there have been probably over 30 godzilla films made over the years uh and toho has been making god godzilla films right up until this film was made they had just kind of suspended production and then uh, Legendary Pictures, uh, which is a film company that often produces films for Warner Brothers, uh, had an idea to uh, develop uh, a big budget Godzilla film. This would be the first uh, kind of American big budget uh, summer blockbuster version of Godzilla since uh, the late 90s when TriStar Pictures had a Godzilla film that gave us all kinds of Taco Bell uh, merchandise and I guess not much else. That that Godzilla film did not rise to the level of its merchandising or the, the culinary delights of Taco Bell, as it turns out. <laughs> right, right. There was kind of an idea, it should be pointed out, this film was uh, went into production right after the kind of wrapping of Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. Okay, yes, Batman yes. Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. And Legendary Pictures uh, helped develop those. And so there was kind of a hope that that uh, they could do a new monster series yes. that would kind of mimic the success of what they had just done with Batman. So they were basically trying to resurrect a new, another franchise. They began working on it. Toho was totally on board. The licensing for TriStar Pictures, who owned the rights to make a Godzilla movie, it expired. Legendary Pictures picked it up. And so they began to develop this idea for a big budget uh, Godzilla movie that would be made in America. The idea was to do to do it very updated with with the, you know, the up-to-date special effects. But everybody that was involved artistically, eventually uh, Gareth Edwards was uh, attached as director. There were other people that were involved earlier. But Gareth Edwards, who who ended up directing the film, was a big Godzilla fan. And actually, most of the people that were involved, including the people at Legendary Pictures, many of them were Godzilla fans. Their effort was to make a film that was more like the original Toho film, Godzilla, at least in America. America, it was called Godzilla King of the Monsters. Yes, yes. That was released in 1954. 1954, I, yes. Uh, 1954, yeah. And it was that that version was modified a little bit because there was no American actors in it. And they in the original one, which was quite popular in the states, they recut it a little bit and added uh, an American interlocutor 
Raymond Burr. Come again, who would return to the movie. It was one of his favorite movies, I guess. He he thought it was kind of a silly film, but he, he loved fan response to his part in it. When Toho and, I, I can't remember who made Godzilla 1985, but when, when they came back to him and said, hey, we're going to do Godzilla 1985, would you be interested in, and almost before they got their sentence complete, before they got the invitation to return to the film complete, he said, oh yeah, I'd love to do it. So he was... Uh, he returns for Godzilla 1985. So basically, uh, his relationship to the series was was very similar to Roddy McDowell's relationship to the Planet of the Apes series. I'm sure, I'm sure. Whatever you guys want to do, uh, I'm on board. <laughs> but it's become quite a classic. The director of, of the original was uh, Ishiro Honda, who was a big Toho director. In fact, Ken Watanabe, the first time we meet him in the film, he's actually dressed in Ishiro Honda's classic on-set attire. And in fact, he's, he's, he's part Partly, his character's character's name is Serizawa. Daisuke Serizawa. His name is Ashiro Ashiro Serizawa, which is a kind of a combination of the character from the original Godzilla, the scientist who understands Godzilla in the 1954 version, and of course the the director Ashiro Honda. And so, anyway, I just think that's kind of a neat little touch. A very yeah, it is, it a, is. very fanboy touch, which which you totally expect from a guy like Gareth Edwards, uh, the director. Yeah, I guess here we should probably um, explain to the listeners a little. Bit or at least I want to, that um, there's kind of some, there's kind of some fifth grade shit going on here. Uh, I I think the listeners should know that Max was an absolute uh, devotee of Godzilla films and he sucked me into it at uh, at the time. I I actually had not watched a lot of Godzilla films until I met Max and and he he exposed me to the the glory of them and, and I began watching them. I saw the original, I saw some of the, some of the sequels that Toe homemade uh there was also a a line of godzilla figures that i believe were available uh at certain stores in in malls in the 80s uh it maybe was, spencer spencer gifts i believe i think so there was certainly those um quick confession audience i got in i almost got in a lot of trouble with my parents when i was this was before i moved to uh richmond indiana i used to live in a place called brazil indiana and i remember uh, that i i'd just seen some godzilla films and I was amazed by them and I I I had gotten a hold of those little orange books that we've talked about in other episodes at the library even back in Brazil I knew that it was a guy in a in a rubber costume and I wanted to make little Godzilla movies with the like little picture book Godzilla movies uh, which I'd gotten into with my I had this two and a half foot tall plastic Godzilla figure that was sold as part of a set with the Shogun Warriors which you could get in the earth which were these like two and a half foot really cool plastic uh action figures I mean they're they're almost too big to be called action figures but they were really neat but they weren't cutting it for me so i got on the phone and dialed zero on you had to do this back in the day and i asked the operator to do an international call and patch me through to toho studios and and the operator was like well i guess i'll try do you know anybody in japan i was like i just need to talk to toho studios i would like to order one of these costumes and i'm this is i'm like i'm in the third grade or even younger i don't remember exactly when but but as the operator was talking to me, she said, Can I use, are your parents home by any chance? I was like, oh, yeah, my mom's here. And she was like, uh, well, here, can I talk to your mom real quick? And so anyway, my mom nixed my whole attempt to start making Godzilla movies and uh, making international calls. So anyway, I just she still tells that story. And I think it's just worth noting. It kind of dovetails with what Jason was saying about my family. Oh, and, 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 and listeners, I have to tell you, after, after being in Max's life for, what, 35 years, this is the first I've heard this story. So you're hearing it fresh with me right now well i it doesn't it's not a 
it's not a conversation uh it's not a conversation starter i guess i don't know hey you know when i was like in the third grade i tried to try to call japan and make godzilla movies. <laughs> but uh i didn't get through so blame my mom for the godzilla movies that what a lot what a life you could have had if they had connected you exactly and i tell you what folks there are some real stinkers in the godzilla canon and i i, I think even in the third grade i could have done a, a little better than maybe godzilla versus biolante but yeah <laughs> we'll never know but anyway uh so you'd seen the original films and we we now know um, fanboy from way back yeah i i would seen the original film um actually i'd watched that with my grandmother which uh who has been a character uh uh that has come back in our podcasts uh time and again and her, i had so what was her opinion of godzilla oh she oh she liked it she liked it a lot um uh she, she liked raymond burr of course you know to her uh he was perry mason but um she thinks that but, he was gonna like defend godzilla in the right right very case that was coming right right um of course uh it was in black and white most of the godzilla films are not in black and white but one of the things that stuck out to me as a child was that the original godzilla godzilla was kind of more of a villain in the original film or or, uh or at least was portrayed as such he was kind of the antagonist and in most of the godzilla films that i was more of the fun ones he was more of a superhero yes yes he certainly is one of the the most rehabilitated of movie monsters you know um yeah because he starts out as this this dangerous force of nature that in the film Serizawa respects. I mean, they suspect the scientists in the original Godzilla film think that they've had something to do humanity. Humanity has had something to do with the creation of Godzilla. Yeah. And and he respects the creature and he but he also respects the danger that it poses. Like there's almost a sadness about the conflict that they have with this magnificent natural creature, I guess, you know, in the, in the film. Right. Isn't that right? Um, we'll, we'll probably have to tackle the original at some point because it's been a while since I've seen it. But you're right. I'm sorry. But over the course of the years, going from villain, the second film, he fights Mothra, I believe, or Angusaurus. Okay. I can't remember which one. But then by the third film, he's sort of an anti-hero. And then by the 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 middle years, he's, like you said, I mean, he's, he's the guy that humanity calls to fight whatever monster that pops up in 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 off the shores of tokyo and then and then in the late 70s he's the star of a cartoon where a captain on a yacht has a a, a little remote control where he can summon godzilla uh because there was a cartoon in the late 70s they were still broadcasting it in the early 80s yes. uh called godzilla maybe king of the monsters but um godzilla was uh called upon to fight whatever villain was uh whatever. on screen at the time yeah, yeah. that the the title song of that uh, ended in the most uh, horrific way. <laughs> it, was, uh, it, was a, it was a very decent, uh, decent enough song. Um, but then it, uh, it was like Godzilla and Godzuki. <laughs> <laughs> exactly which, right. Which was the young Godzilla that hung out with the kid who hung out on the yacht with his dad. Uh, who, which was only later that I discovered that Godzuki was actually in the movies. Oh yeah, yeah, he was. He was in the. He was in uh, one of the mid-range movies. He was been in a couple films, maybe more than I know, because there are a lot more Godzilla. I mean, I'm a fan, but I have not seen all the Godzilla films that have ever existed. You know, uh, has anybody? Does anyone exist that has seen them all? I'm almost positive that there is, <laughs> because there are fucking weirdos out there. You know. <laughs> but yeah, there was a there was a young Godzilla, though his first appearance is basically in the daydream of a kid. One of the weirdest Godzilla yeah. movies that was ever made. It was this kid who was bullied a lot. 
And he kind of has this daydream about being on Monster Island with Godzilla and, and Godzuki and uh, and a bunch of other monsters. It's all charming, but it has the problem of all being a dream, which is one of my most hated movie tropes. But it was all yeah. a dream, you know, and, and I detest that. But uh, I liked everything that happened on the island. And that's sort of a recurring theme in Godzilla films. And that is, I like the monster stuff. Yeah. But then there's the human stuff that sometimes, sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not leading here guys but just keep listening from the from the fifth grade we've been talking about godzilla we have and and uh and when this film was released i i kind of had a lot of hopes that uh that 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 at least visually that there could be a relaunch of the godzilla idea that would be successful and i i you know, not not at all. By the way, not at all spoiling the the um, the verdict. I think this film does successfully relaunch the original ideas of uh, the original idea of Godzilla, the original idea of the Godzilla films in terms of the creature and the human protagonists. I think this film follows very well in that tradition. Well, yeah, and and, and so. To, to harken back a little bit to 1954, Toho and Ishiro Honda and the scriptwriters, uh, they were making kind of a protest film. They were making a film that was very much yes. a commentary about nuclear weapons, about the dangers of nuclear proliferation, about the dangers of using the power of the atom. Yes. And because this is what this is what creates in the 1954 uh, version the creature, or at least awakens him. But uh, I think that in that one, they, they're saying that they basically mutated some kind of ancient dinosaur that it was hibernating in the in the 54 version and yes. and now of course the japanese have very real reasons to have like strong opinions about atomic weapons and atomic technology and they they so so that was that was what 50 that was what the 54 Godzilla movie was about this film certainly stays in that lane because this film is is a different message but it is as topical in in many ways because it is about the environment it is about like i think the central theme of this film uh, the 2014 uh, Garth Edwards film is is definitely carrying on in that tradition of being it's much more low-key but it is kind of thematically activist it is about humans interaction with the environment and it's still got a little bit to do with atomic uh, nuclear technology but it's also a broader message about how humans interact with the with the uh with the environment and that 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 character who carries that message forward is of course dr sebazawa anyway go on jason sorry there's a bit of retrofitting that goes on mm-hmm. uh in terms of that but I, I i would agree completely with that that this film definitely tries to hew very much very close to the original concept of godzilla it's very much an uh a film that has a lot to say about human manipulation of nature. Although actually, I, it seems that there's a, 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 one of the thematic statements of the film is more that, you know, that humans believe that they are in control of nature, but actually it's the other way around. I mean, that, I mean, that's not the exact quote, yeah. but uh, but that's what uh, Dr. Zarazawa says at one point, is that, you know, that it's nature that actually is in the driver's seat, so to speak. Yeah. No, and 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 so, so that, that, that theme, uh, Gareth Edwards really tries to carry that, that theme that we find in the 54 version into this movie with some with some success I think it's not it's not it's not too heavy-handed what did you think of what did you think of how he managed to take that theme and put it in this film I I think that was done very well I think thematically the film does everything that it was intended to do now can I can I can I say this that Sarazawa and Joe Brody that is the Brian Cranston character they should have been the focus of the narrative uh, the human story they should have been the human story and I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this now and we'll, we'll end up talking about the rest of the film the film should have been this 
Sarazawa uh, doesn't quite understand what's going on. Brian Cranston's character figures out the creature feature, the, the main mechanics of the creature feature. They should have teamed up to convince the general. They the, the fight should have been Sarazawa and Brody convincing the general that Godzilla was on their side. That should have been the fight. That should have been the focus of the movie. And it should have been those two figuring out Godzilla's movement. That should have been the human story because it's the human story in this film is multi-layered, too complex, and I didn't give a fuck about any of it. I only cared about Sarazawa and Brody's scientific journey and their 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 like Brody trying to rectify the wrongs that took his wife. And I thought that would have been the better story, the 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 story to focus on. Now that's 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 some of the audience has maybe seen that, but the movie already. But what do you think of that 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 pared down narrative that I'm proposing for the film? That I think the po- I think the podcast is over. I think that you just nailed it. So. Okay. <laughs> Good night, folks. No, Good night. Um, uh, I. I I agree with that. I think that we'll flesh that out more as we go along, uh, because actually, I think that um, you've just kind of put your your claws into a bit of the, a bit of the problem of the narrative. There's a lot of really really good reasons to watch this movie. I think as we go along, we're going to outline some of the problems. Yeah. And uh, and and Max and I have not talked about this at all. But what what you just said, I I, I agree with completely. I that was something that I noticed on my first watch i also noticed it on my rewatch there's a bit of a narrative problem in terms in terms of character development in in the script it's it's built into the script and and that is in keeping with tradition of the well yeah so so if 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 that was garth edwards goal he nailed it the the human story often is often the most flawed part of the godzilla films not so with the king kong films but uh but that's for another that's that's for another podcast the film like you said did the film do the job that it needed to do did it relaunch the the franchise i think we have to say yes it had a budget of just under 100 million and it doubled that it the u.s gross doubled that and and i'm sure that the uh the world gross was even larger uh it was uh, a very successful movie yeah and so so given how uh given how i'm sorry the budget was 160 million and the u.s gross was uh 200 million and then the 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 world gross is is over 500 million so uh, and and that, that 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 money has continued to flow in so given the technical difficulties of this film and there were many uh I, I was reading today that uh that the Godzilla the animated Godzilla used over five I think it was over 500,000 polygons and if it had been animated by a single top of the line computer just one computer it would have taken 450 years to render Godzilla so I mean this is this is the height of of uh computer animation uh, by the way side note production side note the great motion capture actor uh God, why is it? Why does his name just run away from me? Smagel. Right. What the fuck? It, is he? I know you'll cut this out. Um, hold on. Smagel came in and helped out. What is his name? Why can I? I it, this happens to me with this actor more than any other actor. Because uh, it's because well, it's all he ever does. Yeah. <laughs> And that's not a criticism. Um, because he's turned in like two amazing motion capture performances. Well, three. I'm sorry. He did Smagel. He did King Kong. He did... Andy Circus. Andy Circus. Andy Circus came in and consulted on the motion capture. I don't know who Godzilla was because it wasn't Andy Circus. Um, this was at the same time Andy Circus was also doing Planet of the Apes. But, uh, but I suppose it's good that he came in and consulted because Godzilla in Japanese is was rendered as Gojira, which was a combination Jason probably knows this but maybe the audience doesn't which was a combination of the uh, Japanese word for gorilla 
or just the the, the the Japanese. We say anglicized in English, but but I don't know what the the Japanized <laughs> Japanese the the Japanified uh, version of this. But Gojira is a combination of the word for gorilla and whale in ja- like the and the, oh okay. So uh, gorilla whale is is sort of what they were going for. Anyway, Gojira is the Japanese word for Godzilla, and they say it in in this in this film. At some point, they transition to Godzilla, but uh, anyway, God Lizard is what we what, what maybe we get out of it. Well, and, and I will say that uh, Toho uh, was very very positive about making this movie, although they did have a requirement uh, of making Tokyo a central point. Yeah, sure. Uh, however, I do think Legendary Pictures ended up kind of fudging on that a bit. Well. I do. I do know that Toho came away from this experience a little annoyed. They must have been okay with it because, of course, we're they did Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and now they're doing Godzilla versus King Kong. But yeah, they, I, from what I gathered, they were a little annoyed, and that that, that provoked them to make uh, the rather terrible Shin Gojira, which is a uh, uh, or Shin Godzilla. Uh, Shin means new, and Godzilla uh, means Godzilla. Um, <laughs> but I. I uh, <laughs> I saw that terrible movie while uh, actually uh, while flying a 13 hour flight from Boston to uh, to Tokyo. And uh, that was a experience. I, I didn't watch it again. It wasn't a very good movie. <laughs> but anyway, but so I, I thought that was like a little in your face. We can still do Godzilla movies if you guys don't do what we like next time, you know. But anyway, that's why I, I, I wondered if that wasn't the statement. It wasn't a good way to underscore their ability to make Godzilla movies, though. Probably. Although, you know, I, I might... And we can discuss this. I might be a little bit team Toho here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like. I. I. Uh, I. I. I understand their complaint. Yeah. No. No. So they wanted. They wanted Tokyo to be a part of a, a bigger part of the film or the central part yeah. of the film. And yeah. uh, and and it is just. Uh, uh, this is pretty globetrotting. This is almost Godzilla James Bond. Yes, it is. Yes. You know, so the film like bounces from Janjira, I think is the name of the place where it starts. Uh, not, yeah, it starts in Janjira, Japan, goes to Nevada at some point. It goes to San Francisco. It goes to, bounces all over the world. It, the film uh, begins in the Philippines. It starts in the Philippines, yeah. So yeah, I can see why Toho and uh, would be a little miffed. <clears throat> Otherwise, I mean, I think that it's a really faithful and really uh, respectful treatment of Godzilla. It just made its money back, does its job. Garth Edwards got the cast that he wanted without any pushback from legendary at all I mean, and and everybody in the cast was on board from the get-go everybody yes. wa- everybody wanted to do this film you know as much as i'm going to complain about the human element i think most of the actors in the in the movie do a really good job uh, i i agree with what they're given you and i can complained a little bit jason and i try not to talk about these films before we talk about these films but i know jason in a, a previous recording said something about not exactly being thrilled with the chemistry between uh elizabeth olsen aaron taylor johnson as aaron taylor johnson i didn't mind their chemistry too much but he, i mean it's not, it's not it doesn't jump off the screen it's not it's not you know uh i can't think of any great on-screen romance this is not arnold schwarzenegger and uh most people most people would have said bogart and bacall but <laughs> It's not Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis, you know. It's not. <laughs> I, was, I was intentionally reaching for something silly. It's it's not it's not classic on screen romance, you know. But well, they, they they they're more like brother and sister, which they would go on to do in their next film. Exactly, exactly. So. 
So I didn't mind that, but but everybody was on board. And Brian Cranston, I mean, he was he was all over the all over the internet and all over the conventions talking about how excited he was to be in this film. And Garth Edwards and everybody on the production side of things were really just singing his praises for his scenes. Uh, you know, they were they were like Brian Cranston just came in and nailed it. And they were talking about how he elevated the the whole cast with how much he was committed to the role. I mean, maybe, yeah. I mean, he was he was good where he's at in the film, you know, yeah. uh, which prompted what I said earlier. So I, I mean, I was, I was interested. I, I found it interesting that everybody wanted to do this movie. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I kind of got the sense that there were some Godzilla fans. Yeah. Uh, Brian Cranston certainly seemed to be kind of a fan, and and that kind of convinced him to do it. He uh, now it is interesting. Those of you out there who are uh, Breaking Bad fans, uh, I happen to be one of those fans. Um, this movie was made right at the end of Breaking Bad, and fans will know that that in the some of the later seasons of Breaking Bad that. Uh, Brian Cranston uh, had a shaved head, uh, and he he still had a shaved head at this point. So they had to they had to kind of give him a hairpiece for making this movie because this was kind of this was kind of pretty much at the tail end of of that of that time period. Gotcha. No, he was at the height of his powers, really, and this in this in this. Oh, oh, absolutely. And um, Brian Cranston is absolutely great in this film. Now, one of the things that we'll probably discuss, and, and, and I want to kind of get into the opening credits here in a second, but Brian Cranston was not really happy with how his character was dealt with. Well, I don't blame him. Yeah. As a viewer, when you when you jump into this film, whether you're a Godzilla fan or not, whether you've had any experience with the series or whether you have, uh, you start off uh, in the the opening credits are done beautifully. My, you have the, yes, they yeah, are. Yeah, you have a series of still photographs and, and, and some even kind of vintage-looking film footage that seems to be from the 1950s of this uh, government, this secret government project uh, dealing with this strange creature. Yes. We have these... We have these still photographs uh, of, of this monstrous figure uh, in the ocean where we just see kind of the spine of it, you know, maybe when it's getting ready to submerge. Uh, so we're so we kind of become aware, and this is a nod to the original film, that uh, this creature, spoiler, it's Godzilla, is something that, that, that the government, the military, that they had a run-in with in the 1950s, in the atomic age, and they tried to deal with it then. And they were not really able to do it. And that's it. That's all we know. Yeah. The other thing, too, that they hint at as well, the, the agency in question is called Monarch. And prior to the 50s images, which are really well done, and the, the, the images of the atomic testing, we don't see the creature, Godzilla, yet. But, but even before we get to the 50s images, we get some ancient, like, cave paintings and old, old-timey art, uh, which indicates that the, the, these giant creatures have been around for a really long time, longer than Monarch, longer than the U.S. government. But the other thing, too, is just, just the way they play out seeing Godzilla. Like you said, we see the spines. We see him in shadow in the in the, in the the final atomic test in that opening clip, the opening credits, right? There's a, right. There's an atomic bomb sitting on a beach, and the creature starts to emerge, and the bomb goes off. Right. And we just see the image of Godzilla. Now, fans who have been, you know, like me, trying to call Toho when they were in the third grade, you know, we know, we know what that image means, but... But I think it's I think it's just so it's so well done. It's such a it's such a nice hook for people who don't know anything about 
what they're yeah. doing as a viewer. It, it, I just thought I, I'm glad you brought up the credits. I, I intended to, but I'm glad you got there. Oh, the credits are amazingly done uh, in terms of aging the film footage, in terms of just being a tease. Yeah. The credits kind of act as a trailer. They do. They, 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 they would have been a great trailer. Yeah. The credits acted as a great uh, hook. Yes. To, to hook me into the film. I, I was... I was very sold from the credits and, and, and very aware that I was going to see a very exciting movie. So, you know, up to that point, uh, the film is perfect. Yes, yes. So five minutes of perfection uh, and then and then uh, a little longer than that. But but then it opens on on the Philippines, I think, and a very Jurassic Park kind of a helicopter coming into the lush jungle. I, I got the sense that, you know, they were I don't know if they were doing this or if it's just a kind of a common scene. But I, I, I was reminded of that scene of the helicopter coming into the island for the first time with Malcolm and uh, Richard Attenborough and all the other guys. But but they're coming to this island on the Philippines monarch, the agency to to look at something that the island the the miners have found there's some kind of sinkhole that they discovered and a bunch of miners and equipment dropped in and they find this they find this giant fossilized creature and uh and this is where we get our first introduction to dr sarazawa and his assistant dr vivian graham but anyway so so she so she's like his is number two, and they are these researchers for this secret organization called Monarch, and they find this giant skeleton. And they're 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 looking for evidence that the creature that they tried to kill in '54 is dead or is uh, is alive. And and she right. says to him while they're in this giant rib cage, "Is it is it is it him or is it it?" And uh, and he's like, "No, it's something else. This is much older." And that's where they find the eggs in inside ah. the creature. Do do we get the, their hypothesis for what what's going on here? No, I mean. Um... The camera does pull back and we see that there's kind of like a, a trail leading away from the site. Uh, and, and actually, I have to confess, it was only on the second time watching it that I realized, okay, they awakened something that left, that kind of yeah. burrowed its way away. Um, so, something, so something left the site. And so so quick, quick, quick note. The, the film was released in 2014, and that's sort of when we are to assume that the, the, the main body of the story takes place. This takes place about 15 years in the past, right? Oh, so, 1999, 1999. Yes, yes. I mean, I mean um, it says that, yeah. Yeah, and so this is taking place in the past, so we're, we're back in 1999. So from there, the scene moves to Janjira, Japan, and a, a, an American nuclear engineer who, who lives in Japan with his wife, who is also a nuclear engineer, played by Julia. Menashe. This is Brian Cranston and and his wife, and he's preoccupied because he's he's getting signals. He's he's yeah. finding there's something seismic happening. He needs to know what's going on because he is in charge of this nuclear power plant for the Japanese uh, city, the, the city or the region, uh, the, this Kanto region in which Janjira exists. Basically, we're introduced to this family. Uh, Brian Cranston plays Joe Brody, which, by the way, I have to say, is the last name Brody. Uh, are they trying to say something there? They are indeed. They are indeed trying to say something. In fact, the Brodies are, are an homage to the, a Brody of a different franchise. Martin Brody uh, fought another giant creature in the early 70s called Jaws. And Garth Edwards really wanted to pattern a lot of Godzilla on Jaws and that he wanted to pay out seeing the creature later in the film. He wanted to build that up so that when we saw it, we'd be like, oh my God, this is amazing. And that mostly works in this movie, I think. Uh, it's a great idea. Um, and we and we will continue to discuss how well that works. But the Brodies were named after Martin Brody. They might even be related. <laughs> right, right. 
So, uh, so Joe Brody is, as Max said, is the, the, I think he's kind of in charge of this nuclear facility and, and his wife works there as well. And we kind of get, the, as we're kind of introduced, Joe is, is very preoccupied, as Max said. He's concerned about these readings he's been getting. He's also, he's very absorbed in his work. He's a very good scientist. He's a, a very good uh, nuclear scientist to such an extent that he's a, he loves his son, but he doesn't really pay much attention to him. Uh, he's distracted. He's a distracted father, which is and yeah. I don't mean to interrupt. Which is a very Steven Spielberg touch, by the way. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, actually, I hadn't thought of that, but. Um, but uh, Joe Brody, he's very distracted. And the day in question in 1999 is his birthday. And and his son has a happy birthday dad sign ready to go. And But uh, they're all running late and they got to get going and they got to get their son to the bus stop. And he's because he's going to school in Japan because they're an American family that's working in Japan. And, and um, they seem to be pretty at home there. But but he and his wife have to get to the plant, and his wife reminds him of, of of what he's done and how he his son had this great kind of birthday uh, celebration ready for him. But they were running late, and they had to get going. And Brian Cranston does a great job here in in terms of recognizing very genuinely. Oh, fuck, I blew it. And, uh, and 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 his wife's very understanding. The, the, you you kind of get the impression they're they're a very nice family. They're very good parents. They're very focused on what they're on their jobs. Probably Joe, the, the dad, is a little bit more absorbed by it than his wife is. But they're both they're both very dedicated. They both love their son. You kind of get the sense that if they'd had more time, you know, they they would have kind kind of oh, yeah, ironed yeah. out, you know, the the uh, work versus parenthood kind of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think in, in Joe's defense, he was feeling stressed about some weird signals he was getting, seismic signals. And so he was very preoccupied because, you know, when you're running a nuclear installation, I mean, this is just a decade after Chernobyl in the in the movie universe, right? So, I mean, like, right. we have a very real world example of what happens when these things go wrong, which is pretty rare, but he doesn't want to be at the helm when, you know, yeah. when a small city can no longer be inhabited for 75,000 years. Yeah, it's all about timing here. Yep. Um, it's all about timing. We don't get the sense that Joe Brody, is, you're quite right in, in, in saying, you know, in making the Spielberg con- comparison. Joe Brody is not a Spielberg character. No, we don't. We don't get that sense. He's just he's very distracted today, yeah. and his the timing's just very bad. Absolutely, no one in the family realizes that this is going to be the last chance to kind of have this birthday moment to kind of be together as mother, father, and son. Yeah. I gotta kind of say this material that we're talking about right now. Now, really works. I mean, I mean, in terms of the human drama of this film, this movie does very well in the early scenes. Absolutely, and 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 it's crucial for the development of the Brian Cranston Joe Brody character. So yeah, no, it's 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 fine. It's 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 actually perfect for the film. And so he and his wife go into work. She is an engineer herself. She is more of a nuts and bolts uh, kind of person. I get the sense that she, you know, I mean, she's somebody who's going to fix things when things go wrong on a nuclear uh, reactor, right? So when they get there, so he has some angry phone, well, not angry phone calls, but 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 strained phone calls with his bosses and his coworkers uh, on the way in, causes him to miss his son's thing. But when he gets there, he's talking to his friend Takashi who is now a little nervous too. I get the sense that Takashi's read some of the same data now. Fateful moment, he says to his wife, his his capable wife, he says, look, I don't want to wait around to get approval for a review of what's going on here. I need you to go and make sure everything in the reactor is okay. Yeah. So take your team down, start checking it out now. And, you know, we'll, you know, we'll just get a jump. On. I mean, his, his whole idea is we're going to get a jump on this and it'll be okay. If I'm wrong, 
if I'm wrong, then then we're, there's nothing wrong. But he, he wants to get ahead of it. But so far, it, it's still they're all behaving as though it's very routine. Yes. You know, you know, I mean, yeah, there's there's reason to be concerned, but this is not there's no danger. Yeah. Now, he, he feels that way until he gets the new set of numbers for the day, be- because because he says, no, no, this is not this is not seismic. Seismic is random. This is a signal. Yeah, this is this is a this is a pattern is what he says. And then he goes and has an argument with his uh, I guess his boss. And he's like, you know, we need to start we need to start bringing this down. It, what he wants to do is he wants to start bringing reactors offline. Right. 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 <laughs> His boss, who's also an American, is like, well, you know, we gotta, we gotta think about this. We don't want to cause any trouble here. I wonder if they're not like some kind of group that's contracted to start up new reactors. I don't know, but like, he clearly doesn't want to. His boss doesn't want to make any waves. Then, it, then the decisions are all taken out of their hands because the first major shock of the facility happens, right? Well, I mean, as it turns out, they didn't have time anyway. That's true. You're I mean, right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but after the first shock, nobody is questioning Joe Brody's command to shut all the reactors down. Yeah. But then there's already, I mean, there's a breach almost immediately. Right. And so they need to, they need to close the office area where Brody's wife is. And testament to who he is at this facility, he says, leave the doors in my control. I'm going to go down there and meet her. And his friend Takashi doesn't want to do this because he wants to shut the doors right now. Right. Because they're about to lose billions of tons of nuclear gas into the into the atmosphere. That'll, that'll kill everybody in Janjira and probably provinces beside that. But he says, you you leave it manual and you leave it to me. And he goes down and his wife and his uh, her co-workers are trying to get away from this really frightening blast of nuclear steam. I mean, like it, it's it's a really intense moment where she's trying to get away. And he says, he says to her over the walkie talk, you just drop everything. You forget, you forget it all. Just run, just run as fast as you can. And boy, as a viewer, you're like, man, I hope she makes it. I hope she's been, yeah. I hope she's been putting in her cardio. But then that conversation, he'll never know this, but that, that, that second communication he gives her causes her to pause and look back behind her and it distracts her. And that's what causes her and a couple of people to fall over and trip. Even though I don't think they would have made it anyway. They, they probably wouldn't have, but, but like, I'm happy that he doesn't know that. I'm happy he yeah. didn't see that because he would have, he already, he's already going to go on to beat himself up for 15 years. Right. Yeah. Like sure. I think after, shortly after that, she was, if you look at the scene, the gas is maybe 20 feet away from yeah. them when they fall. Yeah. And then the next communication is, you better shut the doors. We're not going to make it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And he, he's, he's so holding on for, he hopes, hopes. But then the, the, the steam, the, the, the nuclear steam comes around the corner and there's nobody there. And he, he pushes it to the last yes. minute and he shuts it. He shuts the, the blast door and is broken up by it. I mean, it's a pretty- and, and, and Brian Cranston does this beautifully. Yes. Probably, probably the best bit of acting in the whole film. And again, not that it's a badly acted film at all, no. but actually uh, this scene is very well done. It's very emotionally engaging. It actually, I guess I'll kind of say here, it promises the viewer that this is going to be an emotionally engaging movie. Yes, yes. Little does the viewer know, this is the height. <laughs> this is the height. And it's really touching too, because she knocks on the door because you can tell that his wife is is really trying to let him off the hook here. Yes. You know, because she's like, she knocks on the window and he gets to see her and she kind of gives him a little smile like, uh, you know, we tried, we tried. And she and she says like, raise the kid, you know, do you know, don't worry about this. You you'd be good to to our son. Little does she know that he's going to fail in that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but but um, Brian Cranston in this moment is better than the movie. Um, and, and again, and not and look, folks, I'm not I'm not trying to sell this as a bad movie. But Brian Cranston actually, uh, in his response to her death, 
his response is so touching and so well acted that that it kind of promises an emotional conflict that will carry us through the movie. Yep. And then we're not given that. Well, we're not really allowed to do it. And that is exactly why I said what I said in, in the earlier part of the podcast. He is one of, he has to be the focus of the film. Yeah. He has to be the reason. I mean, he has to be our window into the conflict of respecting the creature and, and being angry at all of these things. He has to be, he has to be our, he, he's the guy who's going to really be the dramatic uh, foil, right? Is that right? Is that the right word? I think it is. Yes. Yes. I see. And I agree with you. Now, so you said um, at the very beginning that, that it should have been Brian Cranston's character and Ken Watanabe's character being uh, the focus. The next best option would have been to kind of transfer his emotional baggage onto his son yeah. and let his son carry that forward. But the film doesn't even really do that. No, it doesn't. No, no. Um, his no, it doesn't. Which we'll get to, and I, I don't want to. Yeah. Wanna... Yeah. But, but so that happens and then his son is at school uh everybody's getting a, a evacuation order and as his son and everybody are leaving the school the entire nuclear facility implodes on itself which would have been a horrible horrifying thing for this poor poor kid to see yeah because he, he had to be thinking oh mom and dad are over there that's probably not good <laughs> yeah and since this isn't like a springfield and the simpsons this, this, this <laughs> doesn't look good for your parents but uh <laughs> then, then the movie kind of springs forward fifteen years. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And and Sam Brody. That's a, that's our that's our that's our hero's name, right? Yeah. No, Ford Brody. What a terrible name that is, by the way. Ford Brody uh, is his name. Yeah. That's not good. So Ford is is getting off of a, a off of a C one thirty. I think he's been he's been deployed for fourteen months, and he gets uh, some advice from an old soldier about like, oh, you know, take it easy. You know, there's something they don't teach you. And he's Ford is uh, you know take it easy when you get back home. They don't teach you how to deal with being back home. So I want to pause here, and there was this thing that happened in this era, probably from two thousand seven maybe even earlier to maybe even today where films especially action films wanted to shoehorn in uh the long deployment soldiers were experiencing in afghanistan and iraq you know uh post 9 11 sometimes it works sometimes it feels shoehorned in if you if you think back to the 2007 transformers film like yeah. there's, a, there's a gigantic special forces bunch of characters um, but there, there seemed to be almost this fetishization, fetishization, fetishization. I'll cut that in. There's a fetish about this, <laughs> about this, uh, a fetishization of this trope. It got shoehorned in here, and I don't know if, if I think it works, but it's here, and I, I, I don't know what I think of it. Did you have an opinion about this? I kind of do. I actually, I mean, even though uh, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson plays uh, U.S. Navy Lieutenant Ford Brody, bomb expert extraordinaire, yeah, uh, and I, I like Aaron Taylor Johnson and other things. I, I think he does a good job in this film, but actually with the introduction of his character, suddenly the film becomes so neat, you know, that, yes. that, 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 that oh my God, you know, he's a bomb expert. Yep. He's exactly what the plot requires. And, uh, and, and he's a military guy and, and I am you know. Ford Brody. I'll be your deus ex machina today. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't make sense that his son who is at some point after college, washes hands of his dad's endeavors would suddenly somehow be equipped and in the right place to function prominently in his dad's last adventure you know 
Absolutely. And I, and I think that's what I'm getting at. However, however, as a movie viewer, we can kind of go with that. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. The problem is, is that after the death of Ford Brody's mother, this film kind of decides that, well, you know, we got to have humans on screen, but we're kind of done with the character development aspect of it. Yeah. From here on out, it's all going to be kind of phoned in. Yeah. And 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 so from here on out, I, and, and I'm going to qualify that quite a bit here and there, but but um, from here on out, uh, after the death of Mrs. Brody and and Brian Cranston's performance at her death, in which we are totally involved as a viewer, we are totally involved. We are totally emotionally absorbed into this experience of this film. But from here on out, uh, not so much. I, I, I'm I'm kind of interested in a lot of the uh, military and scientific responses. Yeah, what's what's going on? But uh, from here on out, the 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 um, the emotion material it, it is pretty spotty today i was really thinking about the neatness of the almost soap opera like neatness of it you know like like all these characters are somehow involved in in ways that always make them integral to any main plot that's going on is there any reason why ford's wife should be in one of the cities that gets attacked like we have a world full of cities and for <laughs> some reason the 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 villains of the piece are going to choose San Francisco to to land on as their final as the final battle area, you know, to catch everybody up. Ford Brody comes home. He's reunited with his wife and his and his child and 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 everyone and they're happy to see each other. But then he gets a call from his dad, or he gets a call that his dad was arrested in Tokyo, and so he's so he's he's got to leave. So um, Brody goes to rescue his dad, not knowing what he's actually going to run into. Um, but then saying that uh, Ford Brody. Leaves San Francisco. He leaves his wife and son. That is not reunited with them for most of the film. There's a character development moment in this movie that I want to point to as kind of emblematic of how this movie, very much in the Godzilla tradition, by the way, just abandons human character development altogether. And that's where there's some evidence at some point that Ford might be in some trouble and his wife, Elle, uh, cannot get a hold of him. Uh, she, and she's a bit worried about him. And then there's a moment where Ford actually calls her. He calls her on her cell phone. And we see this, this scene where her, her smartphone is in is in the foreground of the shot going, you know, and it's it's ringing. It's not on silent, by the way. It's ringing. Yep. And, and Elle's way back in the background in the kitchen. And she's working with the kids on some kind of project. And she misses Ford's call. When I saw that scene, the first thing I thought was, that's bullshit. She would have have her phone in her pocket yeah. she's worried she like all she's thinking about is oh my god ford's over there there's a shit going down yeah. you know the uh, uh you know um you know his dad was arrested i don't know what's going on and he tries to call her and her phone is just kind of randomly sitting on a table yeah yeah and so there's just something about the film that not not in the early scenes not in the early scenes but at a certain point the characters just become okay we're not going to worry about the human drama anymore uh we're not going to make anything realistic we're just going to have you guys do whatever we need you to do to be kind of uh pawns or backdrops to the great special effects show that we're about to show 
it has that phoned in quality because we've seen that very scene in Transformers where the where the husband or the or the warfighter is about to go into the shit. He tries to call his significant others. We saw yeah. it. In, we saw it in Black Hawk Down. We saw it in uh, Thirteen Hours. We saw it in. Oh gosh, I, I, we've seen it so many times where the soldier tries to call their significant other and their significant other doesn't realize that this is this is a, a, a moment where they might not get a call back. You know, they might they might not get to have the, another conversation with their their spouse. And they would have the phone on them all, at all times. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. She would have. Now, another scene yeah. where this has happened, you know, the person doesn't know that there's a danger, right? In some right. scenes like, but we've seen this film a hundred times and I think they just threw it in there because somebody said, oh, this would be great. This happened in 13 hours. This happened in Transformers. Oh my God, wasn't it touching when, when, when the hero in Transformers uh, tried to call his wife? But 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 it, but it has that phoned in quality, right? Yeah, and yeah. and 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 it, and it also has that neat quality because they're just kind of borrowing elements from thing other things that have been in other movies. It's almost like they only had money for the special effects. So some sometimes I, that was a little harsher than it than than is fair. Well, but here and, and actually, I uh, Gareth Edwards as a director, I I like him and I like his vision. But actually, I kind of want to suggest that I think that he struggles with the direct uh, uh, with. Directing the actors in this movie, um, I actually, I, I, I actually really like Elizabeth Olsen in the film. I like Aaron Taylor Johnson. There's nothing specifically about how he, uh, how he delivers his performance that I want to criticize. No. I just feel. I just feel like that when I watch these actors, I feel like they're being directed by somebody who really didn't push them to, except for Brian Cranston. None of these, these are all good actors. These are all great actors, I think. But I feel like that, especially in the case of Aaron Taylor Johnson as Ford Brody, who I, I, I do not think he was miscast. I think he's good in the role. I don't feel like his scenes are fleshed out very well. I really don't think that he was directed very well. I, 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 my, my instinct or my gut kind of tells me that there's something else from his performance that I wanted that I didn't get. And I don't think I can even kind of tell you what it was that I, that's missing. Well, I, I mean, I think part of that is the is the script. He he has one good scene, I think, of potential character, and that's when he right after uh, his wife gets the call and and he takes the call about his dad being arrested, where he's like, "I don't want to go. I I I don't want to put my family through this." And 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 she's pushing him. She's like, "Yeah, he is your, he is your family, you know." And yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's going through it. He's having a rough time, and and he's and they and and they have this kind of neat back and forth where he's like, "Well, I was going through a rough time too, you know." And yeah, and and she was like, "Look, go." I know you I think what he's trying to do Aaron Taylor Johnson yeah I think he's trying to present a guy who's really tired he's been fighting for 14 months and I think what he mostly wants to do is just be at home with his family and kind of decompress yeah. and and I think I, I don't think that they gave him much to do when when he gets to meet his dad because he because he leaves and he goes and, and hangs out with his dad and and that conflict is Brian Cranston making the most of the script and Aaron Taylor Johnson just doing what the script required oh I mean I mean that, that that's that's my feeling and, and then you know he has his scenes with his father and for fans of uh of max and jason watch a movie 
you'll understand this reference. He discovers that his father has become uh, Father Brennan from The Omen, um, and and has wallpaper has wallpapered his his uh, apartment with newspaper clippings. Uh, from um, he's made it his life's work to unravel why the nuclear reactor the, the the failed, why it shut down, why the facility was destroyed, why his wife died. Yes, he's plastered his 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 apartment with newspaper clippings with scientific papers and he does have a kind of a neat line where he's like i don't have people over that often <laughs> no I, brian cranston uh continues like he transitions as an actor transitions very well from being this um um this very professional man who's in charge of a lot of people to being a man who really doesn't interact with anybody no no and and, and is pretty pretty hyper focused on addressing this this central tragedy of his life that his son has moved on from yeah. he still loves his son and and his son still loves him he, he his son does try and i mean not everything that taylor does in this scene is bad but it's just it's just so understated i don't know if i i, I might have asked for more if i were edwards but but he does say hey dad you know you got to move on from this you know i have you need to come and he says come home that's a nice moment and he does push his dad on what's going on because he does think that his dad's apartment looks a, a little weird <laughs> and his dad basically tries to shoo him on back out the door like hey yeah. you know you know you got go back to your son how old is he? He must be three now. And his, and, and his son says, my son's five, dad. Um, <laughs> right. And he's like, what are you doing here? And he sees like all these weird papers on echolocation. And he sees some clippings about Dr. Sarazawa. And uh, Cranston doesn't, Cranston is so much better than Father Brennan, though, when he finally does break down and explain what's going on. Because right. <laughs> he doesn't lead in with crazy talk. He says, look. <laughs> Yeah. He, he, he explains to his son what he thinks is going on. He's trying to figure out what these signals were that preceded the disaster. He says, he says, I think I think something was sending a signal. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it was, but I, I know that it wasn't a simple earthquake and it wasn't a failure at the at the plant. And I need to right. prove that. Because I, 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 for some reason, I mean, I, I think that it will help him move on to know, they don't explain this, but I think Cranston's acting does. I think he's desperate to prove that it wasn't his fault or his wife's fault or anybody. He doesn't, you know, he wants to prove that this was something that he didn't control, you know, and that yeah. other people know something about. But he, it does take his son pushing him a little bit to get that out of him. And his son thinks he's convinced him to to lay this burden down and come yeah. on home. And of course, when he gets up, when he wakes up, his father's preparing to go back to the Janjira reactor. And this is interesting too. This film is also, as you're watching this, uh, as I was watching this in 2014, I was very conscious of the fact that we just had the Fukushima Fukushima nuclear reactor disaster. So, I mean, this is that kind of topical filmmaking. So it can draw on images that we really can draw to mind. Well, it should be pointed out, they're not going to the reactor. Oh. They're going to the to his home. Which is n near enough to the reactor that is part of this gigantic quarantine zone. Right. Which is where he was He was arrested trying to get into the quarantine zone before. Now he's got a guy who's got him a boat, and they're going to get in this time. And for some reason, against his better judgment, uh, Lieutenant Ford Brody uh, tags along with his dad. They start noticing some weird signs when they get there. The first of those is a pair of dogs that just go running down the street bes beside them. And that gets his father asking the question, why the, why are those dogs running by this place yeah. should be this place should be like a dead zone yeah and he looks at his Geiger counter and it reads zero now if I, it were me I would have thought well my Geiger counter must be broken <laughs> you know 
I would have got another one to like back that that reading up before I did what Brian Cranston did. I would have said to my son, hey, let's, can I look at your Geiger counter? Because I would have had like redundancies if I went back into this. But I wouldn't have just taken my hood off on, on one reading. Do you know? Okay. But now I'm going to put you on the spot. Oh my God. This moment where he chooses to take his, uh, it's not a helmet, but when he chooses to, to, to remove the top of his suit off. Yep. What is that referencing? What movie? Why, this is an elementary question, Jason. I don't even know why you bothered asking it. The movie that this scene is referencing is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Easy, easy, easy. Don't try and stump me again. That's not actually what happened. It's not what I said. What I said was... Oh, it's got to be Alien? No? No, no. No. Oh, shit. I've got to cut in some Angry Lord movies observations about this. Anyway, go on. Well, I've I've been embarrassed enough, so it's your turn. Richard Dreyfuss and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. God. Sorry. Yeah! Jason's going to be doing this show on his own from now on. I don't, I'm not worthy. Now, see, we've already made some Spielberg references, though. We've already brought it up. I... Uh, I do believe that was specifically a reference to Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the scene where Richard Dreyfus. There's nothing wrong with the air. It's just a story that they've put around. Yeah. yeah, that's right. No, it has to be, especially since Garth Edwards is obviously a student of film. I mean, he is a modern Lucas, a modern Spielberg. I mean, he went to, he's, he's like one of those guys back in the 70s who went to film school and knew all yeah. the all of their heroes' moves. And mm-hmm. I mean, that has to be a reference to that. What they find is that there is no radiation anymore there at John Jira. All a cover story. It's all a cover story to keep people out of the area and uh, because that would be a weird thing to explain. Why is there no radiation there? Because there should have been a should have been a wasteland. And so they make it back to his house. They get the discs, which were conveniently the, the data that he needs are on a disc that are conveniently in a neat pile on his desk. He sees or his son sees the happy birthday sign is yeah. that he didn't get to see 15 years ago. And they have a, they're starting to have a little moment when when they're accosted again by the authorities. They, they don't arrest him this time. They take him to the facility to to the old Janjira reactor site. Yeah. And then we get our second great scene of Brian Cranston acting. Well, um, and and then, uh, of course, uh, uh, Dr. Serizawa is back into the story. And one of the things that, that we discover very quickly is that Dr. Serizawa is very interested in... Joe Ford is a terrible name, by the way. It's a Joe, <laughs> Joe Brody and Ford Brody. Joe Brody, excuse me, Joe Brody. It's also a terrible name. I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. Yeah, Joe Brody and Ford Brody. Yep. Not very good names, but but Dr. Sarazawa, who in this film is definitely the character... <sighs> He's been studying radiation, these Godzilla, you know, the history of Godzilla for a long time. And we kind of get the sense right from the very beginning of the movie that that his his, his brain is is processing all of this stuff. He's very experienced. And he he recognizes very quickly that Joe Brody has some knowledge that they need. He has that a Joe, piece of the puzzle. Yeah, yeah. Because they're looking at his old uh printout printer printer data the data that he printed out which is kind of a nice moment for people who have like kind of experienced the computer revolution the the uh the punch holes along the side of the printer yeah, paper. you know yeah. it's kind of neat to see that having you know been there when you know uh you used to listen to a fax line or a modem line or whatever but but he sees signal data that they they thought was lost and he was like where did this come from and his his assistant uh she's like he's got all this data and he's like i thought there was all this was all destroyed and he immediately immediately sees that this 
is a signal that they got just before the the reactor crash, the, the crash of the reactor, I think. And it, and it dovetails with some other research that he's doing. And you're right, right away, he's like, this guy has some information that I want. But that goes back to what I was saying about what the movie should have been. I, I, I agree. Um, and actually, in watching it for the first time, that's actually what I thought. Oh, these two are going to team up. Well, yeah. and see, and, and and that is the whole, to me, that was the whole point of the Brian Cranston interrogation scene. So they're trying to talk to him and we kind of come in at the end of this interrogation when Brian Cranston is fed up. Joe Brody is oh, like- Oh, yeah. He's totally in Walter White mode. I want my son. You know, he's, yeah. yeah. He says, Muscoa Dokodeska. Where's yeah. my son? Yeah, yeah. But, and then, and then he's like, you know what? I'm done talking to you. Because uh, the guy interrogating him. I- want to know why there's no radiation here i want to know why you're lying to everybody and any and he says so bring me somebody who's in charge is basically what we're saying yeah yeah and 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 i really like it because he kind of makes this nice justification he's like i have a right to know what happened here and the other thing that he is on to right now too is that whatever whatever attacked their facility is creating emp pulses which are these electric giant electromagnetic pulses which knock out circuitry everywhere which is which is kind of something that he knows that the other protagonists actually need to know and discover a little bit too late. <laughs> it's absolutely right. It's it's at that moment where Sarazawa is like, uh, well, this guy is definitely somebody we need to talk to. But again, they don't have enough. They don't quite have enough time because the situation starts to unfold where they've taken a, a living egg from the Philippine site and they've been kind of monitoring it for 15 years on this hidden Janjira site, which they say is all you know quarantined and full of radiation. But it's not. It's it's got a weird living creature, right? That they've been monitoring and it starts making some kind of. It starts having some kind of activity right right and so they leave brian cranston locked up <laughs> they've left poor joe uh, they've left poor ford brody in the truck uh in the police truck and he's locked into the police truck sarasawa and his uh assistant vivian graham i think is her name yeah yeah vivian graham uh, they get called to the main facility the main monarch facility and they're like they, the the creature's acting up it's doing something and that's when they notice that the the signal that the creature's giving off is the same one that happened just before the janjira uh event mm-hmm. and they have to make a decision whether they're going to let this thing continue to do what it's doing or they're going to kill it they decide to kill it that doesn't go very well no no they they zap it with a giant taser and uh and the movie ended (laughs) (laughs) there's a a disaster ensues which by the way that's something that happens in in this movie we talked about the earlier scene when um when joe brody brian uh, cranston's character decided you know you we need to shut down the reactor and three seconds later, we discover that it's too late to do that. That's kind of what happens here. They finally get a chance to interview somebody that might have some information that they need. And, and they just, they run out of time. This creature is, uh, becomes awake and, and, and knocks out the entire facility. And in the ensuing struggle, Dr. Brody, Joe Brody, Brian Cranston's character, is severely injured. Yes. Dr. Sarazawa, you know, is asked kind of what he needs from, and he points to the Brodies. Yeah. I need, I need them. Yeah. Ford and his father are both um, uh, evacuated from the area in a helicopter. However, to the surprise of 
many viewers, including me. Me too. Joe Brody dies in the helicopter. Now, the only good thing about this scene for me was the reaction of Sarazawa and Graham. They look like they feel really bad about all of this. They these two are these two are not like your typical science fiction scientists. I mean, they they mean well. Yeah. And, and they feel really bad uh, when they finally do approach Ford. I mean, they they lead with We're, we are so sorry for your loss. My condolences. My condolences, yeah. And it seems sincere. It's not Yeah, well, well they don't work for the military. Because there comes a point later where uh, the admiral of the Navy explains to them, you know, secrecy be damned now. You know, it's all about safety now. So, you know, you guys can't work. So you kind of get the sense that Monarch, they've been working kind of, you know, under the shadow, you know, in the shadows with the blessing of the military. Yeah. yeah. Because the, the military and the government, they don't want any of this to be known. Yeah. But but Monarch, they have been working with the military. They've been working with everybody, uh, with the government. But they're not really part of the government no. necessarily. Or, or, um, or if they are a government agency, these scientists are not necessarily people that are devoted to any kind of department of the government. Yeah. Um, they're, devo- they're devoted to what they're doing. Yes, which is this kind of mission to understand. I get the sense that they are probably funded by, <laughs> it's a kind of a multinational funding. The scene where Brian Cranston gets badly injured is really well done and it's jarring, but I just don't think that it serves the narrative. But so now we, are, we, we Brian Cranston exit stage left. I'm trying to think about how the helicopter was oriented. And then the hero of the movie becomes EOD expert Ford Brody. And he's going to help out these scientists as much as he can. Which I thought was kind of nice. I, I, there was a, there was a, there was a really uh, tropey way they could have gone. But right, right. They skipped right past that, and and I think that it was, it seemed pretty genuine. Where you know he's like, look, you know, we're sorry for your loss, and we hate to do this to you, but we need to know whatever it was that your dad told you, anything that you can think of, you know. And yeah. it, and and this is, I thought this was kind of nicely done too, where where the young Ford Brody is like, uh, I don't really think he didn't tell me anything, and then and it's, it was kind of like people do have that little moment of memory where he's like, he didn't really say anything to me, but wait a minute, there was something about echolocation that, you know, and yeah. that of course got Sarazawa thinking about his own research in, in a new way, right? Because what we what we sort of get the hint at through the news clippings and all over uh, Brody's wall, Elder Brody's wall, is that Sarazawa was something of an echolocation expert. And he's been, you get the sense that he's been sort of circling the conclusions that Joe Brody had, right? But yeah. um, because he didn't have the signal data, I guess, that he needed. But anyway, Ken Watanabe does a great job of like emoting here and like showing us the connections he's making without saying much. I think Ken Watanabe is really good in this film. I I do as well, but here I want to kind of lay down a marker of an opinion about uh, Gareth Edwards and his uh, directing style. I would compare Edwards to George Lucas uh, as being a very visual, visually this film is is a triumph. Yes. Um, And the cast is very, very good. And what you just said about Ken Watanabe is absolutely correct. But I do feel like that most of the performances in this film, the actors are just props or they're treated as props. And the good performances in this film occur despite the fact that they were not really given much feedback this is my sense they were not really given much feedback as far as what to do because i think you're quite right ken watanabe is 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 excellent in terms of uh, of portraying awe and i mean this is a man who has been after a certain knowledge his entire life and now suddenly it's right in front of him and and his mind 
is making connections every moment, trying to figure everything out, trying to enter more deeply into this uh, experience of these creatures yep. that he's always studied, but not really ever been able to see. And now suddenly the moments come and, and he's constantly trying to make connections and he's constantly trying to kind of put things together. And Ken and, and Ken Watanabe does this in, in a fantastic way. Yep. But I definitely get the sense that he was given very simple direction and just kind of went with it. Well, this is not, these are not performances that, that, that a director really kind of played out of anybody. I, I, I wonder if you're not right, because there are times, uh, which is why I think some of the, like, like you said earlier, there are no bad, there's no bad acting in this movie. Correct. But the performances are kind of uneven. And I do think that it is, you're probably right that, 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 that is born of some struggle with knowing what to do with the character. Yeah. What, what does the director want? And if you're not getting that kind of feedback, and this is something like the George Lucas comparison, it seems apt. All of the actors in the Lucas films struggled with what to do emotionally for their characters, right? Because in the, in the in the films he directed, exactly. Because all he would ever tell anybody was faster, more intense. That's all Lucas. That was that was that was like the the backbone of his advice to his actors, right? Oh, and, and he told Harrison Ford, "Just read the lines." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so so here you get this you get the sense that these actors are trying to like basically direct themselves. Yeah. And and using and and they're all good actors, so like everybody does a pretty good job of of managing that. But poor uh, Ford Brody doesn't get a lot. Of, I don't think he gets the feedback he needs. There's some there's he does he does good things, and sometimes he even does great things. Um, he's ne he's never terrible. Yeah, and uh, I, I appreciated uh, Elizabeth Olsen's performance much more in this. Movie I agree. Than I did the first yeah. time I watched it, but but I thought she could have been cut from the film. I thought ideally Ford could have been cut from the film or been the focus from the get go. You know, and and I, I like I, said, I would have had my focus be on Joe and uh, Sarazawa. I think that it has a narrative neatness because honestly, I think a better film would have been ninety or one hundred and ten minutes. And I I think the film sometimes feels long. Did, did yeah. it? sometimes yeah but but i think the only reason that is because actually i mean i okay i agree with you and and as i as i implied earlier brian cranston really in retrospect felt that his character should not have been killed off that that he should have his and i i am in complete agreement with you all the way but even even the narrative decision that they made to make it to make it about this two young married people who are separate from each other and they have a son and and then there's a desire for reunification even that's could have been done better yeah no it's absolutely right i mean i mean i mean it's not that 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 was not the best narrative choice yeah but it's not that that couldn't have been done well i don't think it's really done well I think that's absolutely right. Well, I will probably get into why that is in a bit, but so young Brody tells them what he knows and that gets them thinking about where the other creature is because they're getting another, what's, because they, they, they finally realize that this thing that they've been watching for 15 years was talking to something else. And yeah. what was it talking to? And they, they say, well, there was another egg yeah. that, we thought, that we thought was dead or something. And so where was that? It was in Nevada. Yeah, well, we dissected it. It's nothing. Yeah. What did you do with it? Well, where do you guys put everything that's... Uh, nuclear waste. Uh, so then we're in Nevada, and we've got like a, a tactical team of soldiers like tearing through the Nevada nuclear waste facility, which I, I learned today was actually 100 miles from Las Vegas. So so when... Uh, when we So we see another one of these like uh, long future trails 
And uh, one of the soldiers is looking uh, down the creature trails and he sees this new uh, monster. So we have now another monster and these things they're calling the MUTOs, massive, unidentified. I can't remember what the whole, the, the acronym is, but but he's he sees the creature and in the distance he sees uh, Las Vegas. Las Vegas, yeah. Which is the, these are the most powerful binoculars in the entire <laughs> military arsenal. And then we, we, we see a little bit of the destruction of the creature. But the first thing we see after we see the, the vista of Las Vegas is we cut into a casino. Everybody's gambling. And, and on, the, on the screen, on, the, on one of the television screens, there's a new shot of the creature in Las Vegas. And, you know, I thought if you're in a casino, well, the first thing I thought was, God, I hate casinos. <laughs> uh, having, having, I stayed in one once because I, I had heard that it was cheap to stay in a casino. And that's true. But then you have to walk through a casino and see the, the sad depravity of humanity. And, and and smell a lot of cigarette smoke. But when I saw that uh, that newscast of this creature tearing through the city, you know, I would have not paid attention to it. I thought, well, why, they've got a monster movie on 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 the on the screen. I thought I, I, nobody would have paid attention to that because everybody would have thought it was an action movie, right? Right, right, right. I thought it was kind of a clever touch. But they weren't paying attention anyway. No, they weren't. They weren't. They were they were throwing their lives away. And, and they don't know about it until the creature knocks the roof off the building. But that's that's an okay scene. And so now they're tracking these two creatures. And pretty soon after that, they get the third. They get a third signal, don't they? When do, when does that happen? I'm trying to remember. I just watched this today. When do they see Godzilla? Well, I mean, actually, I think that they um, they get that signal a little earlier, yeah. just slightly earlier, and, and they know who it is. And, and um, Dr. Sarazawa begins to concoct a theory about what he thinks is going on, about restoring balance. Yes, yes. Dr. Sarazawa seems to be a guy who thinks that humanity has really done rotten by the by nature and by the planet Earth. Yeah, uh, and so so I wanted to ask you about this because actually I, I liked that bit. Yeah. But um, in saying that, I feel like Dr. Sarazawa, he's being very intuitive and he's almost kind of abandoning science for more of kind of a 19th century natural philosophy kind of... Yeah, I... Do you I, know where I'm going with this? Yeah, like, I, I mean... As a, as a as a as a former biologist, I certainly understand the idea of climate change, uh, the the kind of impositions we're putting on the planet, and thus uh, the damage we're doing to our ecosystems and our atmosphere, which are going to have an effect on us and and certainly the greater biosphere. I don't know where he's going. I don't know how he's getting to these these conclusions about balance. You know, I I, I do think that he's at some point he's abandoned the scientific method, and he's certainly he's certain not in understanding the. Creature Features, um, necessarily, but but he certainly has an idea that puts him on the side of one of these creatures on, on one on one class of these creatures, and I don't know why he makes that leap. Well, uh, no, you're quite right. The film does not explain that at all. I don't think it. I don't think it has to. No, because because I mean, there comes a point where I think that he he really it's almost an emotional, instinctual commitment that he makes. Yeah that he's pretty certain about. And I think that's fine. Um, it, it, as it's not scientific. No, no. All. Where he's a good yeah. scientist, I'm sorry, is, is, is in analyzing what the creatures are doing. Why is Godzilla pursuing the Mutos? How are the Mutos communicating? That's, he's good at that. 
but you know empirically the the admiral of the navy will have the most empirical stance about the creatures oh and we need to talk about that right now okay go ahead because because actually there are many things to praise about this film we've criticized we've criticized it where it need where it deserved to be criticized there's some things about this film that need to be praised though and that's that we have a military commander admiral william stents mm-hmm. uh played by uh david straight who's a, a a veteran actor who is not pr- really portrayed as a villain not at all and in a lot of these films the military people are either totally incompetent or just so in favor of unleashing violence that they're almost evil yeah yeah he is neither one uh he actually now it's not that he's right yeah but his conclusions make a lot of sense based on the information that he has. Yeah. And Dr. Serizawa doesn't, I mean, he almost asks him to reconsider. Yeah. Dr. Serizawa knows he doesn't really have a lot to go on. Exactly. And, and so, so, so I guess what I'm saying, the film does a very good job here. Dr. Serizawa, as we're talking about, he's kind of, de- he's kind of left the realm of the scientific method yeah. and he knows that. Yeah. And so rather than uh, totally, transition into Matt Hooper from Jaws, you know, just saying, you know, grabbing him by the lapels and saying, what's wrong with you, you idiot? Yeah. He's more like, you know, I I, I wish you would reconsider yeah. what you're doing. Because Dr. Dr. Serizawa has this intuition very early on that Godzilla, who is who is now awake again, He's been awakened by this entire process. And Dr. Serizawa realizes early on that, that you know, Godzilla's awakened to fight them and yeah. to defeat them and to restore balance. And he cannot, he knows that no one in their right mind would just accept his opinion yeah. because he has nothing to back it up. Well, yeah. And so, and so he asks the Admiral uh, at various times to listen to him. And the Admiral doesn't disrespect him at all. No. He, nope. He's just, this is what I got. This is what's going on. I, I, In fact, the Admiral even says, I understand how you feel. Yeah. But this is what I see. This is what's going on. This is what's at stake. This is what I have to do. I really admire that the movie, because there's nothing cliche about this. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, absolutely. No, absolutely. And and I... I I, I was really I actually keyed in on that today. And, and 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 again, you underscored this interaction because the general, I'm sorry, the Admiral even goes one step further. Uh, when when Sarazawa and Graham are kind of making some objections, he says, I am all ears if you guys yeah. have better ideas. Yeah. And uh, and they don't really have any better ideas because the only the, their only idea is like I think the only thing they could have said was I think Godzilla's on our side, or at least on the side of stopping these things, and we should yeah. let that play out. Now that was always gonna be a hard sell for the to the general because letting that play out means having these hundreds of thousands of ton monsters fight it out on earth right um admiral 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 yeah yeah my, my brother was in the navy and he's a listener of our podcast so you so gotta get that right um sorry yeah. sorry but so they do that and uh and then you know after sarazawa says you know he says he makes that 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 reconsider plea the the admiral says look i, I understand what you're saying but will our plan work and, and sarazawa's like i don't know i don't know yeah. in reality i mean these are unprecedented creatures so sarazawa is an expert but he's been working on this for a while he's the closest thing to an expert that anybody's got but this is an emergent phenomenon right yeah so they're going to try and nuke the creatures they're going to try to uh 
Oh, that's that's a little later, I think. They're converging on San Francisco. That's going to happen. But the first the first inkling we see, oh, though, the first little fight we get is in Hawaii. Oh, right, because that's where. Because um... so we we the the Navy meets Godzilla, and this is another moment where you where your where your admiral shows considerable restraint. Yeah. Godzilla is swimming towards the ships, and he pauses before hitting them. And the admiral says, "Hold your fire." Yeah, yeah. And then Godzilla swims under them and they don't know what to do. They're unwilling, the Admiral's unwilling to just attack Godzilla because Godzilla hasn't done anything to anybody yet, right? And so they're following him to Hawaii. And that's when they find that the the, the flying one of these mutos is 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 on is is landing on Hawaii. It's setting off its EMP blasts and it's wreaking havoc in Honolulu. Uh for some reason, again, the neatness of the script, Ford Brody is somehow <laughs> in Hawaii, and he has a nice little interaction where he, he, he's helping out a kid who gets separated from his parents on a train. Which, uh, but see, that's where, like, I, I I want to address that because actually we were both kind of tempted to skip over this scene in, in true Godzilla fashion. We wanted to focus on the creatures. Yeah. But one of the reasons why this scene is easy to pass over, you just mentioned um, what Max was about to say. There There is a scene where Ford gets uh, into a an elevated train. Yeah. And uh, there's a child who's accidentally left in the train. His parents are panicking and, and Ford tries to tell them, yeah, he'll stay with me. He'll be all right. Uh, and then the military engage with the creature who's in Honolulu. The, uh, the train is attacked. It's ripped in two. There are people that fall out of the train and are killed. And Ford saves the young boy who he has befriended. And we kind of get the sense, oh, this is now, this is now uh, uh, Ford Brody's friend. Friend, this little boy and yeah. there's gonna you know he, he maybe he's gonna have to defend this boy to the end of the movie or there's gonna be some kind of emotional moment where he's reunited with his parents he gives the kid that, his old gi joe figure which i would never ever have done <laughs> right when when this action scene is over ford is trying to get off of the island to get back to san francisco to his wife and uh there's a kind of a military refugee post going on where people can 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 go and 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 register and find out where their missing family members are and he's trying to get his uh this kid back to his family kid sees his parents runs off to them the parents pick him up they they see him and they leave and he watches the reunion and that's and that's that's the total end of that of that plot thread yeah now i think what edwards wanted us to get from that is that uh ford brody watched this reunion and it made him think of his family his wife and his son i don't think that works i i I, I really don't i i I don't necessarily think that works but what i thought we were supposed to get out of that scene was just to see what a stand-up guy brody is you know like he's he's helping out this kid and i I just thought that was supposed to be edward's attempt at character building but it's unnecessary because we already know brody's a decent enough guy well i mean god he i mean he went all the way to tokyo to get his dad out of jail good guy is not something that needed to be underlined with this scene you know i mean it's it's not a terrible scene but like you said it the end of it falls pretty flat because yeah. a, a better way to sell i think what you what you're intuiting edwards was trying to get at would would have been to have the family interact with him a little bit and say thank you thank, thank you. you yeah thanks you know 
you know, something even as stupid as, oh, family is the most important thing ever, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he'd be like, my God, you're right. I should get home to see my family, <laughs> you know? But as it stands, it's just, it's just kind of flat because he doesn't get a real interaction. They don't even say, you know, they don't even, like the kid would have said, hey, that the guy saved me. He gave yeah, me a yeah. And why didn't he go back and get get his flint back? That 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 GI Joe or, or who, who was Outback? It looked a little bit more like Outback. I would have wanted my figure back. That's probably worth some money. Um, but but he he doesn't. He just lets his kid go off, and then he tries to get attached to a, a to a new unit, uh, or just to, he's trying to get on a, any military plane out to San Francisco because everybody's going to San Francisco because that's now where the creatures converge. Now there are some pretty harrowing scenes in the Hawaii vignette: Godzilla coming out of the water. Evokes the terror of a tsunami because all of the water yeah. is away. Oh, that's that's very well done. Yes, that that looks great. It, it really does. And then Godzilla emerges. We don't see him much. You know, we don't see much of him. They, they do a good job of like surprising us with Godzilla, which is which shocks me a little bit. The the lights are all out because of the EMPs that the that the Mutos setting off everywhere everybody in hawaii is shocked because of the military actions that are happening like two jets zip by the by the train and and young brody is like aware enough that something's up you know? yeah yeah i noticed that yeah he's like oh this is a little weird what are the odds that i would be at the next monster attack site <laughs> hold on let me look at the script and see oh shit <laughs> um there's a neat scene where some some uh black hawk helicopters drop some people off to meet what they think is going to be where they think godzilla is going to emerge from the ocean they fire off these flares and the flares arc through the darkness until they start to illuminate the giant creature. And I thought that was really well done. So I've seen this a lot. So I was able to think about stupid things uh, while watching this moment, because one of the things that's happening is Godzilla is water is just pouring off of Godzilla because he just emerged from the ocean. And I was wondering, I have no idea how you would do this, but how many tons of salt water must have been like just rolling off of Godzilla in that moment? I just thought that was an interesting thought that I'll never have an answer to. And now, now it's in your head, audience. The soldiers are horrified by this and they just immediately start firing with their M4s in the most useless gesture of military might you'll see in the film because Godzilla does not even notice. Which which always happens in Godzilla movies, comic books, stories. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Godzilla is, is, is the alpha predator that Sarazawa thinks he is. I mean, he's durable, but uh, two, two, three rounds are not going to do anything to Godzilla. So I, I, I want to state something though. I mean, actually, I have to say this film actually deserves some praise for steering away from cliches. I mean, even if it doesn't always do human character development very well. But as we've said, there are things to praise about this film. One of them is, and you just mentioned the flares that are fired up and then suddenly we see uh, the size of Godzilla yeah. comes into frame. There was never a moment where I felt that a, um, a special effects shot was a cliche. Yeah. Was something that I'd seen before. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, no, I like, Right. Like, like, so when you just described that scene, there was, it was not an experience to me of, oh yeah, now we have to have the obligatory, uh, oh look, look how big he is. Yeah. I, I was genuinely awestruck yeah. in that moment. And I think that, you know, as film viewers, you know, we've all seen these big budget films. We're hard to impress. All of us, listeners, you, me, we're, we're hard to impress. It looks great. It does. 
we get some nice reaction shots from the uh, people of Hawaii. The next, the next scene, Godzilla tries to get that flying Muto at the airport. The people at the airport are horrified by the Muto that's kind of chomping through and destroying planes. And then they kind of, so the Muto's destroying plane after plane. And then the crowd is watching this in horror. And then from the other side of the frame, the giant leg of Godzilla enters. And then yeah. the crowd is even more horrified because Godzilla does look a lot bigger than the, 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 the Muto that flies. Yeah. Now we don't get to see much of the fight there. The, the, what we get is a uh, we get to see that fight in kind of a funny little another newscast where this kid is the 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 kid we see watching it is of course Ford Brody's son staying up too late. <laughs> And he's watching this crazy monster fight on the news and his mom's like, come on, turn off the news, honey. And then he's not moving because this is the best film. He's like me, mom, <laughs> Sammy Terry has a Godzilla film on. Can I stay? <laughs> um, and so, uh, and so she comes in the room and, and she's like, come on, let's, let's, let's get to bed. And then she sees what he doesn't because he can't read or he's a, he's a dumb kid. Who knows? She realizes that, oh my God, this is a, this is a really, this is a thing that's really happening. This is the news. I don't think that she, does she, does she know he's in Hawaii at this point? I don't think she does. Although what she knows about her father-in-law, she probably suspects that he might be involved. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's horrified. So Brody finds out that they're going to get, they're going to take the, they're going to take the, the creatures are going to San Francisco. Now, this is the point where they uh, realize that they need to, to do something to the creatures, right? I'm trying to remember what happens here. He gets attached because he's going to fly home on a military plane and somehow he ends up part of the operation, right? Does it happen yeah. when he fire? Does it happen when he gets... Um, it happens when he gets to California. There's a small town in California where they begin the operation. Yes. And because they've decided that uh, because by this point, the female, yes. which is larger and unwinged, yeah. uh, that has been awoken, and we already talked about that, is converging towards San Francisco. And I think at this point, Dr. Sarazawa has suggested to the Admiral to let them fight. Yeah. Because Godzilla is going to fight them. And the Admiral can't take that chance. And so they develop a plan to take a, a nuclear device. And, and, yeah, and they're very aware, of course, that uh, they have to do kind of an analog approach that's not electronic, that it's more like, you know, a, a timer, like the yeah. workings of a cuckoo clock yeah. is is how I would describe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so that once they set it, you know, it can only be deactivated manually yeah. and an EMP would not would not stop it. Yeah. Now, as it turns out, this is a really stupid plan. <laughs> Yes, yes. But uh, but that's actually something that I want to say. You know, I actually, when we watch horror films, you know, one of the things that annoys me is stupid decisions really irritate me. Yeah. And, and even though the... the the plan that they develop is kind of manifestly stupid to people who know who Godzilla is. Yeah. And, okay. But it fits. And it's not, it's not stupid for them. <clears throat> this is, this uh, is an unprecedented phenomenon. They know that the Mutos are, uh, the Mutos have pulled a, a submarine out of the ocean and eaten the nuclear missiles. Right. Right. Like, they know that they're attracted to, to strong doses of nuclear radiation. And so, and Godzilla follows that around because he's hunting these creatures. These creatures require nuclear radiation to gestate their eggs. It seems it's hinted that they that they also are that they parasitize older Godzillas because okay. because they, they find the eggs in an old Godzilla in an old Godzilla like carcass, right? Yeah, yeah. And so there's a, a strong incentive for Godzilla to just eradicate these things, right? Right. How that brings balance to so I don't know. But anyway, what this is this is 
This is just a, a untested hypothesis of Serizawa. But anyway, but there's an old, they're kind of old enemies, but they're attracted to nuclear energy and, but they're unprecedented. So I don't, I didn't, what, what, what the military thinks is that they'll lure them away and they'll detonate these giant bombs. And while Serizawa brings up, hey, we tried, you guys, we, Monarch tried to kill Godzilla in 54 and it didn't work. And right. there's a, there's a, one of the guys offers a, a, a pretty reasonable uh, yes. argument. He says, well, you know, the yield here is much greater. I mean, these bombs make what we what we tried to get him with in 54 look like firecrackers. Now, I think he's probably going to be wrong about, he would have been wrong about that, right? right? The military doesn't realize how powerful Godzilla is or how powerful the Mutos are. But but their reasoning is not is not so ridiculous that we would just roll our eyes at it. No, these are not the captain of the, the police department outside of Nakatomi Tower. <laughs> right. You know, the, he's not, they're not manifestly stupid ideas, I don't think, which is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but it is a dumb idea if you're a fan and sitting in the audience oh this will never work we all <laughs> right, right. and uh and it immediately doesn't work right uh, oh, oh things go south pretty quickly <laughs> yes the the mutos find the, the they're 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 luring them with the train to get them away from populated areas of of california prior to that uh we're in san francisco and the mutos are doing damage there we get a really cool scene of the evacuation of san francisco and we, we get some nice godzilla moments some daylight godzilla moments where godzilla's swimming into san francisco harbor i guess he's going to be by he's going to appear by the golden gate bridge an interesting production note I found today the model that they used to shoot a lot of their elements was 400 feet long the model oh. for the bridge so they could really have a nice massive scale to shoot with their cameras right so so with model work anybody who's a student of the appendices of the lord of the rings extended edition dvds will know that the bigger your model is the the closer you can get your camera to it yeah yeah, yeah. which is a problem that the old toho godzilla films never understood <laughs> Yeah, uh, but uh, which is which is part of their charm. But uh, anyway, the, the the it's not a miniature; it's a bigature, is what they called him at Wetter. Yeah. From but there's a huge. It was a huge 400 foot model, the Golden Gate Bridge, which I kind of want, but I don't have a space for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But Godzilla gets attacked by the military because they, they don't really know what he's up to, and we get a stupid bit of comedy though in this scene where a bus driver is taking again neat little moment in the script uh, too neat narratively for some reason the young brody child is on the bus that's going to engage in all this comedy as the bus driver is like wildly trying to get off the the bridge as godzilla is being attacked by the military it is strange that everybody is in just the right moment is at the just right spot you know to it's too neat and uh, once you see that it's hard to unsee it well i see i i agree with that and actually while i was watching the scene i kind of thought okay the civic evacuation of san francisco and oakland is just so bad that it's almost unbelievable um but then i kind of thought about it and i thought no this is more how like anybody that does any reading on major battles in u.s history or world history or um major disasters and the mistakes that are made that in retrospect seems so obvious i like my reaction was the same as yours but then i kind of stopped and i thought you know 
I like how this film is really demonstrating the complete ineptitude well, of, of of everybody. Not and actually, I don't want to use the word ineptitude. I don't want to use that word. This film does a very good job of portraying a city that has never dealt with anything like this, and and, and no one is handling it correctly. Yes, yes. and nor nor should they be expected to. No, it's true. It's true. And uh, I mean, we have a we have a current real world disaster that sort of that sort of yes with this with this bad response. You know, you're learning as you go. Anyway, but no, I, I didn't mind that. What I minded was just the why is why is it why is his son involved in this spectacle now as you said we can look past that it's a movie and our our protagonists kind of have to carry us along but that was a little tropey that little comedy bit that's probably as tropey as the movie gets i think uh yeah. it's not terrible but i noticed it but i liked all the godzilla bits and 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 i, I did feel a little bad for the military people because they do provoke godzilla it was annoyed by being shot by tanks and rockets. And you get the sense though, too, that there's a moment where the military, there's, a, there's some army guys on the bridge and they're trying to get the naval ships to hold their fire. There's civilians on the bridge, they're saying, and just before a bunch of these missiles hit the bridge, Godzilla rears up and blocks them with his body. Yeah, so, and that's the that's the first evidence to us that yeah. Godzilla is, is a protagonist. Yes. Now, um, I mean, again, this is not, a, I've already established that this is not a criticism but i for a second i was like rather annoyed that these military people were setting up these positions on the bridge and there were all these civilians and you would think that they would say you know maybe we need to get them off the bridge yeah yeah no (laughs) maybe that needs to be a priority and and, but but then i thought about it and, and as i said no you know they these soldiers right now they're only thinking about one thing there's the these creatures coming i'm probably going to die and I think that's more how it would be. Yeah. There would be a lot of disorder. There would be a lot of um, lack of leadership, a lot of failure of leadership. Now, this might be a moment where I want to make this statement. This film was shot with digital cameras, yep. with limited green screens. Uh, I, I, I do know that. In fact, I, uh, I did see a quote that... Um, Aaron Taylor Johnson said that, you know, there was not a lot of green screens. There was a lot of location shooting. Mm-hmm. There was not a, a lot of location shooting in San Francisco. Okay, okay. I have to say that visually, this film is spectacular. Okay. The effects are spectacular. The locations do not feel like real locations to me. Okay. I, I've been to San Francisco several times. There are several shots, and so some that will come later, that just did not really feel like the real San Francisco to me. You just said correctly correctly i believe that this was the golden gate bridge yeah it was not until the end of the scene that i finally realized that that's what it was intended to be okay okay i had i had assumed it was the bay bridge the bay bridge is what connects san francisco to oakland okay and there was a scene right before this that took place in oakland so i assumed it was the bay bridge okay maybe it was maybe i'm getting that wrong i don't know no no i think that you're as far as i can tell you're right but the re okay but i don't know and that's my point yeah yeah my point is is that there was there was never at any point that i was like oh yeah that's the golden gate bridge yep. or oh yeah that's the bay bridge i've never been on the bay bridge i've been 
been on the Golden Gate. I've not been on the Bay Bridge, but I've seen it. And I just assumed it was the Bay Bridge. And what occurred to me was, I don't know which fucking bridge it was. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. I, I actually, and, and not just this moment, but later, and I'll skip ahead a little bit for a moment, when Godzilla is fighting the creatures and they're fighting near the Transamerica Tower, the, yeah. the, uh, which is shaped like a pyramid. And I thought, that's not the Transamerica Tower. That That is not, this is not San Francisco. I mean, some of the buildings, some of the, some of the markers are there, but this is not a location. Yeah. This is not what they're doing. And that was very, actually, not just this scene, but throughout the entire movie with digital photography, you get you get very crisp, very clear, uh, very vibrant colors. You know, uh, in the very first scene of the movie, when the helicopter's uh, going over the site where the, the oh, mine yeah. collapses, you have this, you know, these lush, this lush greenery. I mean, it's all very beautiful. But there is something about fi- uh, films that are shot digitally, especially when they when they decide to depict a, a, a city or a location and they don't really shoot in the location. Mm-hmm. It's very obvious to me. And there was something there was a great reality to the creatures okay uh the effects were awesome the uh the effects shot uh the effects shots in this movie are are the best or some of the best monster effects shots that i've ever seen none of them are cliched they're all very well done uh the scene on the bridge is great with the you know the 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 surging waves and, and and all of that is is very well done it doesn't feel like san francisco to me and I don't know if there's people that are listening who have an opinion about that. I'd, I'd be curious what your opinion is. Didn't feel like San Francisco to me. You know, as you mentioned that, I, I have to say I feel the same way. I, I don't know that I felt, I think, I, I think I'm, I think I'm going to get on board with you there. I think that, okay. well, well, I think everything looks nice. I don't get a sense of geography or place with it. You know, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and and yeah, no, that 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 is a problem that goes all the way through. Doesn't feel like Hawaii. I've never been to Hawaii, but I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of Magnum PI. But Magnum PI always feels like Hawaii. You get a lot of establishing shots, and I don't think that I think that that's something that the film lacks, which is establishing shots, and that would have helped a lot to to put us in a place. If you have good establishing shots, you can make you can shoot Kansas in Toronto, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. so like if you're going to go to all these great locations, take some time, get some establishing shots so that you can establish a place. I mean, so you can do what the establishing shot needs needs you to do, what the film needs you to do. I mean, that's, a, that's kind of a small complaint, but it's important, I think, in some of the overall kinds of errors that the film makes. Yeah. Like if, if that was its only error, it would be okay. But right, right. But it's not quite its only error. But go on, go on. That was a problem for me throughout. Like even, even earlier in the film, when Brian Cranston and Aaron and Taylor Johnson are in the hazmat suits and they're going through their old neighborhood. And, and even when they go into the uh, into their old house, it just it didn't feel like a real place to me. No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. And, and now that you've said that, I'll never be able to unsee that. But but yeah, no, today when I was watching it, I was like, is this, did they film this in like a back lot? And, and I, today, yeah. I thought this today, did they film this in a back lot? Because I mean, like, what am I supposed to get out of this? Do they, were they on the set of I Am Legend and they're just using some old? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? some old props from that show. That's a good point. Returning to the the main plot, uh, so we get some Godzilla. The soldiers on the Golden Gate Bridge do finally provoke Godzilla to leave the scene. And it is kind of sad because I do think some soldiers get killed in that moment because Godzilla just says, well, I'm going. It's too bad you guys are on the bridge, but I'm going this way. (laughs) He just kind of crashes through the bridge really casually. I mean, you get to see how powerful this creature is. I mean, they do a great job. The advantage of doing digital filmmaking is that Godzilla does look like he's in the scene. Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, all all of that stuff 
done uh, very well. I guess I think we have to back up a little bit uh, because the the um, the plan to to deliver a nuclear weapon to destroy the creatures is intercepted by one of the creatures. They actually get the device, the nuclear device, when they intercept the train. Yeah, yeah. Uh, over the railroad bridge, and all that's really well done. Oh man, yeah, that's that that is like. It's like a horror movie somehow done well with like a giant monster, which I is it's very tense. You know, they're it's it's dark. It's uh it's Northern California woodsy. They're trying to find out where this Muto is because they know that they're in danger. And it, no, you're right. It's just amazingly well done. And, well, and and they're trying to walk across a a railroad bridge at night. Yes, which is pr- I think more dangerous than people would think. Yeah, and uh, which the film demonstrates that. But there's also something else. They kind of hit the deck. Yeah, and one of the Mutos kind of goes under the bridge yeah and it seems to be smelling them it seems like it's interacting with them yeah it's it seems to be smelling them but one of the things i like about it is that when i first saw it i thought oh it's going to destroy the bridge and and and, i mean eventually it kind of does but initially it just it just kind of goes under the bridge yeah and i thought that was very realistic because a creature you know in, in monster films the monsters go through and they just destroy everything yeah but they wouldn't necessarily no no they wouldn't yeah no, I mean, th- that's interesting because that's the thing that, that, that makes me kind of question all of Sarazawa's ideas, at least about like the, the greater purpose of these creatures, because they do try and impart some kind of realistic biology. These creatures, what I get the sense is they have their own business. <laughs> Yeah. Right? But they're not incurious about the world around them. They don't I don't get the sense that these mutos want to hurt any they, it's not that they don't they want to hurt anybody. It's just that it's like a hurricane doesn't want to mm-hmm. hurt anybody. It's just gonna move through an environment and do what it does. That's right. what the mutos do. That's what Godzilla does. Yeah. Um, now there are there are there's some indication in, in the movie that Godzilla does seem to interact with people. He seems to have some connections occasionally, but but the mutos don't seem evil to me. They just seem like like bears. Right, you know they're yeah. they're just they're just trying to get along. Human activity has made it easier for them to get along than it ever has been. Right, they have access to all of this nuclear energy, safe nuclear energy. Right, they don't right. have to try and approach a Godzilla. Um, yeah, they, yeah, they just take these devices and <laughs> and uh, the soldiers in this scene where they're trying to transport the nuclear missile get to see that happen once. And at that point, I think that Ford should have informed the military that this is just not going to work. They just ate one of these devices. That that, that would have been advice. You know, but yeah, so they, 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 they eat the device and, uh, I think some of the soldiers below the bridge engage the creature and that's what provokes it to respond and fight back. Right. And that's how the bridge gets destroyed. And I mean, that's all, re- it's really well done. And then, then, then we see the aftermath and most of the soldiers are dead. Ford has survived, luckily, because he's the EOD expert that they need, that the plot needs. And in fact, because he designed the, the trigger device, he installed it and he's the only one who knows about it. The, the creature took ate one of the missiles and took the other, right? Right. And now the Mutos are super happy because they've got everything that they need and they're going to make their their uh, their nest. Now, going back to your to your observation that this that this doesn't feel like San Francisco, when they're destroying the city, it looks like New York to me. Yeah. And for some reason, new plan, the Admiral comes up with a new plan. He's like, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to drop you guys in in a halo jump, which is a high altitude deployment. Low opening. Low opening. And more on that in a minute. Uh, and you guys are going to land in San Francisco and you're going to find the missile. You're going to get the missile out. You're going to get it going to shore. If you can't, if you can't disarm it, you're going to get it on a boat and you're going to get it out to sea so we don't want to kill everybody and we don't want to make San Francisco a crater. Uh, sir, aren't the creatures already making it a crater? Shut up! <laughs> um, 
but uh, but the creatures are really destroying the city. I mean, they're creating this giant dust cloud that is probably conducive to their nesting. I don't know why they needed to halo in. That I that had um, The only thing that I thought of was they had to jump from that height to avoid an EMP. I don't know why they had to open their chute so low. I didn't get that either. I mean, like like you do that because you want to limit your target time. You want to limit like how long you are able to be seen if you open your chute really high then yeah you're an object that can be seen in the sky but they just but why couldn't they just like get some old analog like stick shift cars or or, or something or, or put them on bicycles and just take them up to the edge of the fucking emp range and just like all right guys pedal on in but instead <laughs> sorry I've, I've crippled jason with some uh with <laughs> my observation there but but you're right they didn't need to open it so high or so low it, it, it was so dangerous and like one of the, the yeah. The, the lead operator's like, and look, if you don't hit a skyscraper coming in, meet at the rendezvous point. Yeah, I the thought had occurred to me. Um, that that, that it's, was it's a- an amazing scene. I I mean, I'm happy that they did it because it is harrowing. Like we we go down with our with our soldiers, and all we really hear. What we see is what they can see through their goggles, right? So our vision is as limited as they are. And I think it's a really effective scene. I think it's pointless, but it is neat. And they use they use music from Ligeti, which was used in 2001, A Space Odyssey. That's right. Um, it's yeah. very effective. I mean, it's yeah. very effective. It's, it, it belonged, I think, in a different movie, but with the, with a more reasonable threat to strategy ratio. <laughs> but... <laughs> Some of them don't make it. Some of them don't make it because you know you're 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 parachuting into clouds uh, all over the city. Luckily, our EOD guy made it. And they they find the nuclear missile. They find an, an egg spike full of eggs. He's the only one who notices the significance of that. By the way, yeah, I would have thought some of the other guys would have been like, "That seems like it's going to be a problem." Yeah. All the while, it's kind of neat too because Godzilla's stalking through San Francisco as well, and that's kind of neat because we see Godzilla's when they land. There's a neat scene where. Uh, they're they're taking care of their business uh stacking up their shoots or whatever but in the at the end of the street you see godzilla's shadow kind of move just almost emerges from the mist but then he goes he starts circling the nest right right and i thought that was kind of cool and we get godzilla attacks as they're taking the missile away which is good for the soldiers right godzilla really puts a whooping on this small muto that can fly i mean he's he's beating it up and it's really uh, we're as the audience we're like yay animals fighting <laughs> As they de- as they destroy these non landmark San Francisco buildings. That's right. Though, though I guess one I, I read in the in the trivia today, one of the buildings that falls is back at the close as Godzilla leaves the city. Somebody, somebody, somebody in special effects forgot that they had knocked down this building, and then <laughs> in the closing shot, uh, either San Francisco is really much better at uh, at reconstruction and. Uh, <laughs> disaster relief then fema it's a, has it's an earthquake center i mean it's true, it's true um but uh so godzilla attacks and at this point when i first saw the movie i was like are we gonna get a see if this movie pulls 1995 godzilla and doesn't give me godzilla breathing fire i'm gonna be pissed and godzilla's put his foot down on the chest of this this monster and he stands up and his chest is expanding and i'm like oh we're gonna get it and then he gets attacked from behind by the the mother, the the, the yeah. female, uh, Muto. And then Godzilla has his hands full. And for some reason, during all of this, the the special forces guys are taking the nuclear miss, 
pistol away and Ford decides he's going to go back and address this spike, this kind of spike of eggs that's stuck in the ground where the nuclear missile was. Right. That's, that was the right thing to do, but I don't know why he didn't say, hey, everybody, we need to address this before we go. Right. Now, maybe, maybe in the hierarchy of, of things, that's a problem for another time. Maybe the missile that's going to destroy San Francisco was the right priority, but but he goes back and he blows up the missile and uh, not blows up the missile, but blows up the eggs. And that saves Godzilla's skin. Yeah. Because Godzilla's sort of on the, now on his back foot. Yeah. The incompetence of the military <laughs> in this film from start to finish is pretty consistent. It is. It is. Um, uh, because there is, there is almost nothing about their operation. Almost nothing yeah. throughout the entire film that, that, that not only goes right, but that even, that even, helps the cause of humankind. It seems like, as I, I hadn't thought of this before, but like it seems like they would have had a plan for what do you do if the faceplate of this of this magic gearbox is damaged. Mm. It seems like they would have had redundancies. Like they're not NASA, but they would have had like backup plans, right? Right. But like, uh, but they didn't. <laughs> but it helps Godzilla out. And then we get some really nice creature moments where Godzilla, uh, well, this puts, uh, sorry, after he blows up the eggs, this puts our hero, Ford, in, in a bad position because I think that the mother Muto can smell him. Yeah. And she starts to pursue him, right? And yeah. uh, this is when we, we think Godzilla's hurt. We don't know when he's going to get back in the fight, but then we see a little bit of blue pass through the screen. And this, yeah. this wasn't, I saw this in the theater and the audience went ape shit. Really? They did. Everybody was like, people, somebody said, oh my God. And the, this, this chain of blue light goes up the back spines of Godzilla. And there's this really wonderful sound effect that they created. And Godzilla's chest expands. And then he hits the mother Muto with the nuclear fire that we have been waiting for, for the whole yeah. movie. And it's, it was the right decision on Garth Edwards' part to wait for that moment. Yeah, sure. You know, um, yeah. not play it too much, not overdo it. And he, he, Godzilla really puts it on the Mother Muto. And uh, that gives Garth, uh, sorry, that gives uh, Ford a chance to escape. Now Godzilla's more in command of the fight. He pushes the Mother away. And, and then the, the flying one gives him some trouble for a second. You know, it picks him up and takes him away from her. And, yeah. then, and then the thing gets a little, the, the, the flying Muto gets a little too fancy for its own good mm -hmm. and and this is a nice shot because it's flying around and it's going to do another fancy uh, attack on Godzilla and we get to see Godzilla's intelligence for the first time because he's watching it like yeah. a, he's watching it like a dog waiting for you to throw the ball and it's a it's 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 a nice moment and the creature's like I, I wish we could have been in the head of the Muto to, to kind of have a sense of how excited it was about how it was about to give the coup de grace to Godzilla. But then Godzilla does a, does a really cool thing with his tail and smashes the Muto into a building, impales it. And it's, 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 it's just a nice moment of behavioral acting on the part of the animators, I thought, you know, because Godzilla's, I just like the, the look of Godzilla thinking, thinking his counterattack. Well, you know, actually, um, I, I had not read a complete review of this movie, but yeah. I do. I, I I did read some anecdotal stuff that there were a lot of criticisms that there was not enough Godzilla in this movie. Okay, and I don't agree with that. Uh, I actually um, the, the 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 human characters were a good idea. They just weren't well executed. Yeah, the Godzilla stuff is great. Yeah, and and actually, you just illustrated uh, the the dispensing of one of the creatures. Yeah. 
but uh, the the final fight with the other creature is even better. Yeah, I mean, this is all all the all of the the monster fight stuff is off the charts good as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely, absolutely. And a building falls on Godzilla at this point, doesn't it? Like after the after he does a lot of damage to the building and he gets kind of buried for a second, and that gives the mother Muto time to chase down Ford, right? who's heading for the who's heading for the boat yeah. to and- to get the to get the device away from the oh, land. Sure, yeah. The the I think the best thing they could have done was just to let the Mudos have it. If they weren't if it wasn't going to if they weren't going to be able to disarm it, they should have let let the Mutos eat it. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. The thought that thought had occurred to me. But he gets lucky. Some of his soldiers distract the creature with with the M4 fire and pay a horrible price for for shooting at the Muto. And he ends up getting on the boat and he starts driving it away. We have a little Saving Private Ryan moment here. Did you notice that the Muto is about to get Ford and he pulls out. He's injured. He can't really move. He pulls out his 45 and he aims it at the Muto. And this is that scene where Tom Hanks is shooting the tank at the end of Saving Private Ryan. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think, anyway. He doesn't get to shoot at the Muto because a giant maw grabs the Muto and hurls it away, does some uh, nuclear fire on it, Godzilla, then grabs the creature um, in an ode to his soon-to-be enemy, King Kong, and does his massive fire breath right down the 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 the, the <laughs> gullet of the Muto. <laughs> It's pretty fucking violent. Uh, he destroyed. He, he damages the creature so bad that it burns the body away from the the head. And Godzilla gets a nice little triumphant moment of holding the head of his enemy, calling out his victory to the people of San Francisco who should have evacuated, but if not. Uh, and then he just kind of casually drops the head of this monster. I just think it's all such wonderful acting on the part of the animators and whoever did the motion capture for for uh, Godzilla. And then uh, Godzilla walks back to shore and like kind of like a prize fighter falls over. At the same time, Ford also seems to be suffering and he falls over and they kind of have this little dual hero moment where they both pass out from their injuries, yeah. which is kind of fun little moment. And we think, well, Ford's going to go off to be blown up with his nuclear missile. Hopefully it stays on on track and he set that rudder correctly um right. it'd be horrible if it just like wound back to shore <laughs> but he's saved and uh, they take him away and- uh, it's not very long before the device goes off and and actually that's one of the things i was like you know the, that boat didn't have that it didn't it didn't have that long to get that far away <laughs> no no it didn't it didn't um but uh but this film has an interesting idea about geometry as we uh, uh, ge- geometry and geography as we learned about this was a a faster boat like like the binoculars were better in the earlier scene where we could see las vegas from the nuclear waste site this yeah. boat had had a similar uh technological upgrade um <laughs> but everybody thinks that godzilla's dead and uh we see this kind of poignant scene with sarazawa next to, at the at the snout of godzilla and everybody's like kind of crowding around the creature much too close for my comfort after seeing the nuclear fire and knowing that these creatures like i would have been like geiger counters out everybody <laughs> Right. But then a great little blast of, of air explodes from the snout of Godzilla and he's up. And uh, and then the, the Chiron on the news asks the right question. Godzilla, savior of the city? Question mark. And uh, credits which, roll. Which, yes, the news caption is correct. It's That's done a little too easily, though. Yeah. <laughs> that That's not what, oh my God, did he save us? Granted, you know, how many buildings were destroyed? <laughs> how many lives were lost? Now, he did save them. Yeah. 
I don't think they would have reacted that way that quickly, though. No, I don't. Th- I don't think they would have come to that conclusion that quickly. No, he's Godzilla has a uh, Godzilla's done that, but like you know, there 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 were other questions asked. I mean, like, did he save us or what is he, was he just doing what he does? You know, so that you're right. It was too too quick to that conclusion. Uh, that paper would have been blasted by every other paper in San Francisco. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and 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 by the way, uh, Ford and his wife and his kid, they're they're reunited and yeah, yeah. Which I mean, you almost you almost skipped over that because it's actually emotionally not nearly as impactful as the death of Ford's mother and the acting performance of Brian Cranston earlier in the film. And that's part of the problem. Yes, it's not even as emotionally impactful as when uh, the little kid reunites with the parents. I Why? agree with that as well. I mean, even though even though I like everybody involved, yeah, it's just look, it's just not it's not really well done. No, I and, and I think that the problem was they tried to shoehorn too many emotional moments into the film and not really pay as much attention to the film. Doesn't pay as much attention to Ford and his wife, who's who I just, I just keep calling Ella L L Brody. It doesn't pay it doesn't pay enough attention to them to make that a story worth telling i don't think uh i i agree i i almost feel like that they relied too much on our experience of his of um of board's childhood but the problem was is that ford is so divorced from emotionally from his childhood yeah that's his problem his dad has not moved on and he has so that when his so so that when his dad dies it's almost like ford just becomes another guy yeah oh absolutely that's exactly what he does become so the film does a lot of things well um Oh, uh, something else. That, go ahead. Well, something something that I haven't mentioned. Um, and actually, I would say this is one of the reasons why I'm very comfortable criticizing the film. The score is amazing. It is. Yeah, I was I was actually just getting ready to bring up the score. Um, I, I I actually um um was was the score is 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 intense. Uh, it, it's at times frightening. Um, it's very very worth listening to just on its own. Yeah. Um, uh, Alexandre Desplat, Desplat. I've never heard of him. Yeah. Uh, I, I he has done a lot, but uh, the the score is uh, is really really a cut above. Um, um, it, you know, in, in the modern era, it's it's really really good. I agree. It's I, part of me wanted a modernization of the classic Ikafube, I think is his name, the the original. Godzilla score but uh this composer decided to do his own thing but but really captured that great sound the the great scores of the of the science fiction yes you know um, this is a this is a big science fiction score and it lives up to kind of the 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 drama on screen of the monsters you know I mean this is it, it, it just reminded me of like every it reminded me of every great science fiction score but also while having its own identity you know but I mean I, when I'm when I'm listening to it, I'm thinking this is a giant monster movie score. You know, yes, is, you know, yes. Uh, uh, this is this is very similar to the old Godzilla score, but it is it's it's its own thing. I I I know I, I dug the score. I can't say enough great things about it. It is it's it's really well married to the to the material. Uh, amen. Absolutely, absolutely. I think we're ready for the verdict because Godzilla then swims away, and that's it. <laughs> that is it. There's no after scene. Uh, Nick Fury doesn't ask Godzilla to join the Avengers. Um, <laughs> Though, folks, there was a Godzilla comic book run by Marvel, and I do have, I had an issue where the Avengers fought Godzilla. I had that one. I had that one. Yeah. I think Hercules gets stepped on and kicked, which must have made the rest of the Avengers pretty happy. (laughs) 
But anyway, it's out there probably on the internet somewhere. You can uh, you can read it. And the verdict. If you are a child who tried to call Japan when they were in the third grade to get a Godzilla suit, there's really <laughs> nothing this film can do wrong that will make you not watch it again and again and again. But I can't say that it's a great film. I think it's a good film. It does all the monster stuff. It does all the monster stuff that it needs to do. But it doesn't rise above the monster stuff. I don't think that it doesn't rise above the monster stuff. If you don't like giant monster films or kaiju films, I don't think you're going to like this movie. But uh, yeah, if you're that kid in third grade who who tried to order a Godzilla costume, you'll love this movie. And that's that's I think that's all I can really say about it, Jason. Uh, I I actually you you nailed some things that uh, that I thought while I was watching it this movie does some things uh, spectacularly well it does visuals very well the the film score is really one of the best of this era and I I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that it's really 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 is is very well done this film fails in character development and it fails to a certain extent in emotional engagement there there are some really good scenes in this movie but I I do think that the film falls short I I would, I would echo what Max just said, that if you like monster movies, especially if you're a Godzilla fan, this is the film you should watch. If you like monster films in general, um, this should be on your short list. I would... I would suggest that my review is for people who might not usually gravitate to a movie like this, but maybe in this era, you know, this is the era where people who don't, who didn't read comic books love the Marvel films or never cared about fantasy, but loved uh, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings films. If you're expecting this film to be an entry point for your, for your, for a, a new found love of monster films, I don't think this is quite, uh, the visuals are fantastic. There are many things to recommend this movie. But um, but only for fans of monster films. Otherwise, cannot quite give it a recommendation. I think that that's right, Jason. What are we doing next? We're we're tackling the next one in this series, which I think is King Kong. Unless you want to go straight to Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Oh no, it it, uh, it actually is not King Kong. You have to get your titles correct. It is the next film in the Legendary Pictures series, which is actually titled, in spite of what Max said, Kong Skull Island. Jason is really pushing for me to have a, another another Lord Movies castigation sidebar, and it's deserved. Um, <laughs> all right, folks, uh, share us on social media, on the Twitters, on the Facebooks. You know what to do. Give us a five-star review on Amazon. Text us to your friends. Your parents want to listen to our podcast. Tell them about us, and uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, bye-bye, guys. Bye.